Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I kid you not. Kid you not, Jimmy Cook. On the drive up here, and I'll explain where here is in just a second. I was driving up I-65 just before I got to exit 138, which is the exit that you would take off 65 north to come to the Boone County 4-H Fairgrounds, which is where we are located for the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. More on that in a second. And just probably north of 465 on I-65, I kid you not, I saw an eagle flying. Really? I saw, I, I'm sure it was an eagle because it had a yellow head and it was huge. And, and, of course, it's, you know, Eagle Creek State Park is just south of there, so he was probably just a little bit uh, north of where he needed to be. But then I thought to myself, speaking of the Eagles, that will be plenty of conversation about it today because last night Colts Eagles in Philadelphia, and I am a na- I'm a cynic by nature. And I am a pretty hard judge, I think, for the most part. And I'll be honest with you. I was watching that game, and I thought to myself, I can see why they took this kid fourth overall. I thought Anthony Richardson looked pretty good. There were a couple of instances early on, both the offense and the defense, where there were hiccups on their opening drives, and it felt like it was going to be a frustrating, embarrassing-type performance where you have the Eagles running out their second and third unit, Colts running out starters, and this is going to be a long night at Philadelphia. And then you get that second drive. You get a nice bounce-back look from Anthony Richardson. You saw long throws that – Again, whether you want to say it was timing on the receiver's part, whether you want to say there were a couple overthrows, which there were, is fine. But he looked poised on bounce-back drives. He led multiple scoring drives. And, and the bigger thing for me, Jake, and that's part of the reason that there's been so much anticipation with what he's going to be able to do, regardless of the effectiveness of the offensive line, which matters a ton, but is his ability to escape and extend plays that the past three, four iterations of the quarterback position for this team have not been able to do. Undoubtedly. There were times where – and you could say it's of concern if it's plays where he is electing to run before he goes through all of his reads and whatever else. But the reality is – and, you know, some of it may be by design – but when he gets loose, he gets loose, man. And he is a bigger version of Kyler Murray, right? Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, that's a four-yard – no, that's not a four-yard gain. That's an eight-yard gain. Wait a minute, there's the first down line. Boom, he's over it. And the chains keep moving. Uh, so a lot to talk about in terms of last night, what happened in Philadelphia. But good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. That was the voice that you just heard of Jimmy Cook. We are here at the, again, Boone County 4-H Fairgrounds. This is right off of – literally right off of exit 138 as you come north on I-65. Jake, that's great. Why are you there? We're here for the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Well, that's cool, Jake. Is Rick Mountain going to be there? Not that kind of hardwood. <laughs> this actually is – you want to talk about chainsaws you might hear in the background, lumberjack shows. If it involves wood, if it involves creativity of wood, then it is here. Festivals, live music. Tons of fun taking place here over the next three days. Great family event. As a matter of fact, going to run today until 5 o'clock. And then tomorrow and Sunday, both days opening at 9. This goes until 6 o'clock tomorrow. It goes until 4 o'clock on Sunday. And tickets are just $10 or a weekend pass for $20. So a lot to talk about, including uh, the water skiing squirrels going to join us in 20 minutes. 
I, I don't Twiggy's know. in the building. Hey, Twiggy is here, man. <laughs> they, they just told me, by the way. I said, can we interview Twiggy? Now I'm assuming it's going to be his handlers, right? Yeah. And when I said, can we interview Twiggy, they said, well, <laughs> he's, Twiggy's warming up. Right you cannot disturb the determination and focus. Of Twiggy's routine. It would be like interrupting Michael Phelps when you see the – if you remember back to the Olympics where yeah, he's just oh locked yeah. in, you don't want any part of that. Twiggy, I don't want to disturb Twiggy's Twiggy routine, Twiggy is doing man. some slaloming right now. So as a result of that, uh, he's warming up, and then his handlers will come over. Twiggy is the water skiing squirrel. That's one of the shows that takes place here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Uh, Brittany Livingston, the pride of Cathedral High School and both Spelman and Indiana University joining us here, as well as David Duncan, who did a great job getting us all set up. So we are good to go over the course of the next couple of hours. Um, Additionally, the placement, shout out to the Hoosier Harbor oh, Festival, huge. because I, I'm a wimp of the highest order. And I was like, all right, I got like four water bottles with me. They're going to have us like dead center of this thing outside. No, we are we are in with, with all the shops and the different just wood items you can get. There's a beautiful Notre Dame carving across the way. Okay. Like it, we're, we're, we're in paradise right now. Now, and so we should point that out, Jimmy, for people that are thinking about coming out. There are multiple areas of the fairgrounds here that are indoor air conditioned units. So you're not so if you're worried about the heat, you know, you can come yes, in, yes. look through some stuff, cool off a little bit, go back out and walk around. Just um, like the balance of the state the fair. They have they have the whole setup that where you're never you're never in one place for too long. There's plenty of stuff you know, to do. I missed this year and I was disappointed by it at the state fair. Uh, by the time I got to the fair, I was there like the last day there and I missed the world's largest boar. Mm. Which which actually a lot of people called me that over the course of a radio show. But um, but I didn't see him this year, which is usually my favorite part of the fair. Uh, last night, it's funny, the beginning of – and Colts games are funny to me. They're funny to me because typically, like if Colts social media in particular, if you get on Twitter and you're following people while a game is taking place – it is always doom or gloom. There's no in-between. And, and last night at the beginning of the game, the initial tweets, comments, observations from people were the sky is falling like, man, it's going to be a long year. And I think, Jimmy, the reality is that people are well aware of the – I think people know this year is not about – the Colts have done what the Pacers did. Yes. And letting their fan base know, hey, listen, let's be realistic about what's taking place here. This is about the development of one guy. And so I think people initially were like, man, it's going to be a long year. And then they saw some of the excitement of Anthony Richardson and the unpredictability of him. And part of that unpredictability is, in fact, his inconsistency through the air. But the fact that he is able to extend plays the way he does, you do want to see what's going to happen because you kind of never know, right? It's like Reggie Jackson at the plate. Yeah. It's either going to be three home runs on three straight pitches or he strikes out and his knee is on the dirt and everybody's laughing at it. It's one of the two. Yeah, nobody is sitting here and telling Colts fans, hey, the next two, three years of this development process for Anthony Richardson is, man, there's going to be no winning and just enjoy it. Just have some fun. I'm not asking Colts fans to do that for a three-year period, but I'm saying this season alone, you realize where expectations are at. And honestly, winning is all that matters in this league. I understand that. But as long as he's growing and developing – this preseason, it's the most fun because of just the unpredictable, I don't know what's going to happen next, electricity that occurs when he's under center or in the gun or, or utilizing an RPO and making the right read. And that was the other thing. There's going to be a ton of that, a number of different national media members that you know cover, whether it's NFL Live, whether it is NFL Network, observing what happened last night. A lot of 
quick, decisive RPO reads made by Anthony Richardson. And yes, there's probably some concern with a couple of balls here or there where if you're going against the ones of a defensive unit and he makes the instinctive decision, maybe it's into coverage, maybe it's a pick, maybe it's an interception. But last night, the timing was there. There was separation from different receivers. Kylan Granson's connection stood out to me very well. And then, again, I know you're going against the twos, but my other big question mark last night, Jake, was how is this running attack going to look if it's going to be a by-committee approach? I'm not running to the hills saying they've solved it. Don't need Jonathan Taylor anymore. But it was a step in the right direction if this is the running back core they are going to work with this year. Yeah, I I think the you know, the the one thing about the running game in general, Jimmy, and just the pass game of Anthony Richardson, and, and this is something that I, I don't know that you can tangibly for certain say that there was evidence of it, but it certainly appeared that way. By the way, the, um, the glare, the way the light's coming through here, I noticed this on my, on my rather impressive biceps. The, the glare <laughs> on the lighting of our YouTube, and, and hello to everybody watching on the YouTube page, it looks like I have the world's worst farmer's tan on my arms. Now, now there is definitely a little bit of a discrepancy. Sure, sure. But the lighting, the way it's coming through here, um, you can't see it right now. But, but leave you me when I tell you. It's, I have a farmer's tan, but it's not near as glaring and glowingly obvious as it is on the YouTube. And I think a lot of people watch the YouTube page predominantly because they like to see my physical attributes. Sure. But that's uh, just so everybody knows. There's, you know, you got to grade me on a curve. It's um, no longer adds 10 pounds. It's, it's modified oh, it the farmer's tan. That's, that's what too, we're doing here, sure. too. Okay. You know, right. I mean, I, believe you me, I'm 6'4", 215. <laughs> I mean, you know, just ask anybody. Um, but that said, I think Richardson does show – Jimmy, I thought he showed an incredible poise. Like, you know, even Manning and to an extent Luck – which are the two that we're going to go by because those are the two most recent franchise quarterbacks that we saw starting out at a young age. And, you know, Manning, if you go back and, and look at it, you, everybody talked about the happy feet. Well, he's got the happy feet, you know, and, of course, he, he maintained that really all the way through his career. Um, for Manning, the thing that made Manning so good was he had the perfect touch of timing of knowing, like a receiver would go out and run a route or a tight end or whatever. Manning lets go of the ball, and you're like, what is he doing? There's no one there. And then that receiver turns around, and the ball is exactly where it needs to be. So he, he was a very good, from the get-go, anticipatory quarterback. But it took him a while to learn the pacing and the, the timing of those that were catching the ball. Okay, In Luck's case, you know, Luck obviously was – Andrew Luck was obviously one that could, like Richardson, tuck and run, right? But there were times where he made the wrong decision as to when to do that. Um, both of them, I think at times you could see the, the volume in their ears getting louder of the defense coming and, the, and, and figuring out when to maneuver on that and when not to. That sixth sense that just comes Correct. as you get more reps. And, and Richardson looks like he already from. has yeah. that. That's the thing yeah. to me yesterday that was the most impressive was like Anthony Richardson had a, a, a presence about him where – he kind of just felt everything and felt comfortable and was able to maneuver around the pocket to the point of where he, you know what I mean? Where he knew when to go and when to stay in, and he was not rattled by everything going around him, which was impressive to me, very impressive to me. 
and that has been my again maybe it's a low bar I'm not trying to, to set expectations lower than they should be for him but when the knock on him is the lack of reps the lack of experience he's not going to be able to keep his head up and, and stay focused when things go south he's going to have regressions within games and that will likely still happen there's going to be struggles but so far you've had two preseason starts for him and out of the gate the offense struggled both opening drives this time there wasn't a turnover that happened with it it was just you know they, they weren't able to, to move the ball they wanted what they wanted to had to give it back to philadelphia but they were able to respond and bounce back after those early struggles and he did he looked poised he looked calm and it didn't look like he was in a position of establishing bad habits of bailing on pockets without fully going through his reads it looked like he had evaluated everything that he could to the point that the pressure's coming i need to go and bail out of the pocket now and either try to go get it with my legs or keep my head down downfield as much as possible and try to hit somebody out in the flat or that's opened in space to create extended drive so yeah I mean I overall like look the accuracy is going to be what it is look at the quarterbacks that we're talking about for where his model is of a comparison Jalen Hurts Josh Allen again that's high ceiling of I hate player comps but that's what you're hoping he turns into you're hoping you're able to mold him in to the next great generational quarterback and all of those guys had accuracy issues their first year but they got better and better season by season and that's positive growth so I'm not saying that you need to have oh he's completing it at an 80% clip on a gamely basis that's not going to happen but as long as for every 45 50 55 percent game there's a 60 to 65 percent one to back it up that's what i want to see i want to see poise growth and good response from him even if the accuracy issues are there because if in a for half of football six to 17 78 yards through the air and then 38 on the ground and he's able to lead a couple of scoring drives together you put that in two halves of football with the way the colts defense looked despite the fact that it was against twos and threes You'll take that. That's going to keep you in ball games for, for, for games that you're concerned about winning versus development. Are you going to go buy the Notre Dame woodwork that's here? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. Why not? Um, you, you need more Notre Dame decor in the house, right? I, I could use some more Notre Dame decor in the house. You are correct. I mean, do you want me to buy it for you? I could. No, that's okay. Are you uh, sure? Well, I mean, firewood, right? That's cool. <laughs> Last year after that Notre Dame-Clemson game, I would have gladly put that one on the fire, but that was a brush fire from the get-go. As soon as that block punt happened, I'm like, it's over. <laughs> it was over at that point. And, of course, the guy that, that orchestrated that for Notre Dame, their special teams coach now with the Colts and from this area, Boone yeah. County, as a matter of fact, Boone County Fairgrounds, where we are, the 4-H Fairgrounds of Boone County, right off exit 138 on I-65 at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Jimmy, um... I'll tell you who it was a rough night for last night. There were a lot. Of, there were a lot of players that I thought played well, and there was one that, to me, was like losers—the wrong word—but definitively took a step back last night. You know, Richardson, in terms of his timing, this this used to always be the discussion about Brett Favre was Brett Favre you know the narrative always was man Favre would throw a 90 mile an hour fastball at times when they needed a change up and it took a while for his receivers and his tight ends to get used to that I think Mark Chamura was really good because he was one guy that figured out that Brett Favre was going to throw at the same velocity from five yards out as from 35 yards out right and last night Richardson looked like a guy that was throwing some Brett Favre fastballs and I think that 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 took some guys 
some getting used to. You know, you saw a couple. Josh Downs, for example, had a drop that was right there in the numbers, but it was coming about a mile, a hundred yeah. miles an hour. Um, but the guy last night that, to me, had the biggest setback for the Colts, and I'm almost hesitant to say the name because we are 15 minutes into the show and we've made it this far. Jonathan Taylor had a rough night last night because Jonathan Taylor had a rough night because you could even tell that Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, while well aware of Jonathan Taylor's talent, were able to see that the Colts were able to move the ball on the ground. And I know they're going against Philly's second-string defense. I, I get it. And, you know, the, and I thought the Colts' line played well. I, it's, it's too bad what happened to Danny Penter because he, he is obviously going to be, you know, he was nothing more than an insurance piece for their offensive line. But, it, but a guy that at least you knew what he could do if yes. you needed some depth there. And they're still trying to get that depth on the line. But Jonathan Taylor had a rough night because the Colts last night averaged over four yards per carry, and they did so with, uh, what, four different backs averaging over four and a half yards per carry. Richardson, of course, ticks that number up a little bit overall. Minshew and Deion Jackson both brought that average down with just a couple of carries each, and Minshew obviously uh, a little bit different scenario in terms of his rushes going towards it. But when you look at the running back by committee that took place, Jimmy, and, and in particular that, and I think Herb Street in particular was was – impressed by Evan Hole. Now, six carries and 25 yards, but three of those were at the goal line just trying to punch it in after he had been knocked down at, you know, right at the goal line and they overturned it. But the Colts' ability last night to run the football, again, even though it's not, I, I get it. I mean, you don't have Carter out there. You don't have Philly's main line. I get it. But not every defense in the National Football League is what would have been their ones. Correct. And like schematically speaking, they were able to come up with some things where you're like, you could see Shane Steichen's footprint already on what they were able to do. And, you know, I'm going to be curious. We're going to talk a lot of Colts today. As a matter of fact, Kevin Bowen's going to join us here coming up at 1 o'clock. James Boyd at 2 and the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, in between the two of them when we're not talking to the water skiing squirrel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see what those guys, if they agree with that. But there's no doubt that Taylor brings something to the table that you do not get. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, come on. Yes. Come on. Twiggy is in the house, baby. Twiggy's in the building. Twiggy, I think, is, is Twiggy about to sit down? I, 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 Twiggy's not rabbit, is he? Twiggy is Twiggy is like the most awesome-looking squirrel ever. He just got done with some water skiing. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about 10 minutes. Is that all right, guys, to talk to Twiggy? We're gonna, I don't know if Twiggy himself does interviews, but I, I told you I'm squirrel-friendly. I love my. squirrels. I like chipmunks. I like all of them, right? And Twiggy, how old is Twiggy? Well, this one's five. Twiggy's five. We'll, we'll get all the information. I don't even. What's the life expectancy of a squirrel? Do you know? Mm. I have no idea. I don't, wild, I, don't, I don't want to wildly speculate on something like in that. In the wild or in captivity. Uh, we'll talk to <laughs> Twiggy the water skiing squirrel here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival coming up in just about 10 minutes. But I, I, I think that Taylor, if you look at it, you know, we know that they're obviously discussing with Miami situations to be able to facilitate a trade. I think those discussions are still ongoing, Jimmy. Somebody asked me earlier, they're like, what goes into the Colts franchise tagging Jonathan Taylor? I, what goes into that is Jonathan Taylor's in the final year of his contract. And if they hold him to his contract and he's a member of the roster, then at the end of the year they they have the election to franchise tag him. And the franchise tag means that he would be paid the average of the top five salaries at the running back position, and they can franchise tag him up to three consecutive years with a 20% increment each time. Eventually you price yourself out of the market at that point. But I do think that it, it, it's as simple as this. I don't think the Colts ever thought 
and went through the process of, I don't think they've ever said to Jonathan Taylor, we are not going to resign you. I think what they've said to Jonathan Taylor is, we'll resign you, but it's going to be on the terms and the timing that's best for us. And Taylor wanted that long-term extension coming into this season and wanted to avoid the tag. And because he knows that there's the possibility he is going to be tagged, meaning that he plays an additional year under a contract that he has yet to fully negotiate for maximum money, that's what he's holding out against or, or, or trying to avoid. And so it has created a situation where the Colts are open for business and teams like Miami are interested in talking. But we know, as we have talked about, what the Colts are looking for and what they're going to hold out for and the statement they're trying to make on what they're going to get back. But... Last night showed to me that while you don't have the home run ability of Jonathan Taylor in the backs that you have there, you do have by committee in today's NFL guys that can move the chains. Half of that battle relies on the offensive line. That's why there's so much pressure on Tony Sperano Jr. to get this line back up to snuff of what they were a couple of years ago. Not just because if you have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, you want him to be able to... See, not see things better because his vision is at an elite level, but those holes to be more prevalent than they were a year or two ago. And, and on top of that, Jake, this is all without the return of Zach Moss, assuming he's able to be available week one after suffering the arm injury. So if you're looking at what the Colts running back by committee did against the Eagles, what they've done so far this preseason, and the jury's still out on what Zach Moss would add to this backfield over the course of a 17-game season, you're suddenly thinking to yourself, all right, well, this is what the rest of the league's doing. JT, if you're not going to play for us and you want to run the risk of financial penalty or not having a year of service time back on your belt, we'll roll with these guys, and we know that the running ability of our quarterback is going to keep defenses guessing enough to where will get by just by this committee approach. Not as electric as it would have been, not as many home run hits as it would have been, but serviceable, which is the name of the game in today's NFL. Have you ever done any lumberjacking? No. Have you ever, like, have you ever been to the Pacific Northwest? No. Uh, not No, not the Pacific Northwest, no. Like, the furthest like I've been the, is, is L.A. Like a lumberjack, is a lumberjack just a guy that goes out with a chainsaw and, and clears out trees like for, for timber? Or does a lumberjack like climb up and do stuff? Do you know? I don't know. I don't either, but there's a mascot walking around that's a bathtub. You don't want to high-five the bathtub? <laughs> I don't know if I'm more excited about the bathtub, bath fitter, the bathtub. I don't know if I'm more excited about that or Twiggy. <laughs> but it's six to one up dozen the other. But the bathtub's pretty cool. The screen that the bathtub mascot looks out of is a little porous. It was a little clear to see the guy that was inside of it. But that's okay. Kids can't tell, right? Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not used to a uh, – Disney's not churning out uh, animated <laughs> bathtubs that you're worried about. You know that one time – the man behind the mask? At the Indianapolis Motor Speedway one time, I found myself uh, – Mickey and Minnie Mouse both had come to the Speedway for an appearance. And I was kind of in a backstage area with Mickey and Minnie. And it was literally just the three of us. And we're sitting there, and I said, man, it's been a long day for you guys. Like, what time did you, did you guys fly in today? And the Mickey fellow, like, pointed to his wrist to show that he didn't have a watch and did, like, the, the generic, like, I don't know, arm raise deal. And I'm, he, they, they couldn't break character. He wouldn't talk to me. He couldn't break character. And I'm like, lock in. I'm like, there's only three of us here, man. You, you talk to me. Would not do it. 
would not. It's do. a circle of trust, Jake. Uh, I can't invite so. yourself into that. Uh, Twiggy the Water Skiing Squirrel is here. We're going to talk to him next, and we'll continue the conversation about the Colts again. Kevin Bowen going to join us on the program today at one o'clock. Matt Taylor one thirty. James Boyd two o'clock. We're at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival at the Boone County Four H Fairgrounds off Exit one thirty eight and I sixty five. Just ten dollars to come in. Twenty dollar weekend pass again. Open until five today from tomorrow nine to six. Sunday nine to four. All kinds of exhibits involving wood and rodents on skis. What is not to like? We'll talk about that coming up. When we come back, you're listening to Quarry and Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, we are, by the way, at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival here at the Boone County 4-H Fairgrounds. Again, right up I-65, exit 138. The fairgrounds are right there. You cannot miss it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would even say that um, somebody who is challenged in terms of map reading could still find it because a blind squirrel can always find a nut. And speaking of squirrels, Twiggy the water skiing squirrel joins us now. Uh, actually, Chuck Best is the handler for the traveling road show that I think most people have seen probably on YouTube or in different areas. But uh, I love everything about this. Chuck, first off, welcome to Indianapolis, man. Hey, or it, to Boone County, I should say. Design yes, itself. middle of the cornfields. It's great. Uh, so let's go through this. I think most people have seen Twiggy in some capacity. This is Twiggy 9, is that right? 10. Twiggy 10. Twiggy 10. And this began, your dad had this idea, right? It was a joke. 45 years ago, my dad had a squirrel that he took in as a pet that was blown out of a nest. And uh, just a couple months later, my dad bought a remote control boat for my sister, my oldest sister, and was playing with it. And a friend of his came over to him and was like, Chuck, you didn't buy that boat for your daughter. You bought it for yourself. And my dad... Being the jokesters, just joke back and says, no, I'm learning to drive the boat to teach my pet squirrel how to water ski. Bet his friend and pretty much did it as the bet and put it in the local newspaper, and here we are now. <laughs> so so how long does it take a squirrel to learn? I, like, here's the thing. I, I don't know. Do you know no, how to water I do ski, not. No, no. I don't know how to water ski either. Now, I do think that water skiing and snow skiing both, I've always said this. this is, Chuck, this has been a long-standing Jake Quarry hot take controversy, okay? I think that unless you learn as a child – the taller you are, the harder it is to ski because your center of gravity is higher. Like, you know, Barry Sanders was a great running back, but also his low center of gravity assisted in keeping him upright. So Twiggy has a distinct advantage here, I would think. But how long does it take a squirrel to learn to water ski? So the, the average, I would say, is about a month or two um, to get them to ski. Now, to really ski as far as like a show, usually six months to a year of doing shows. But we do that in the show. So you get to see them whenever we get like a new squirrel that we're training. We train them in the show. Once we get them to do one lap, just keep on working with them. But six months is a good average for the show. We're doing a lot of talk about how much time and patience the Colts should have with new rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson. When you bring in a new Twiggy or a new Twiggy auditionee, how, how long is it before, okay, this Twiggy's not cut out for it? Or has it all been success rate, 100%? It's been a 100% success rate except for one squirrel, which was my first one when I took this over for my mom. I could not get that squirrel to ski more than a lap or two. But you know what? If she skis or she doesn't ski, the crowd still loves it in the sure. show. Uh, you know, And I think people see in the show, they appreciate the, the honesty of, hey, if they don't ski, they don't ski, and you know, we can't force it. Now, I'm curious. 
I, I told the story the other day. We had a flying squirrel. I, I didn't, my, but a roommate slash neighbor of mine in college had a flying squirrel. Okay. Um, I don't know that when we bought the squirrel, we realized the flying squirrel that it was essentially nocturnal. So uh, nighttime was a, a bit of a you know challenge. Now I can see now Twiggy now is a bit drowsy, right? No, um, she's just hanging out. That's game face. That's game face. Yes. Okay. Uh, what is what is a typical day for Twiggy when not in the water? Um, chewing on all of my electronics. That's okay. Remote to her favorite. <laughs> um, but we uh, basically they run around, hang out with us most of the time. Though they sleep about fourteen hours a day. Okay. But they get up. In the morning and at night, typically, and sometimes mid-afternoon. What else do I have in common with Twiggy? Um, <laughs> and then what, what is the diet of Twiggy? You know, the, the naturally, I would say that you got to go to, like, do you go to the acorn store? Like, what do you do here? No, and actually, that's the, the misconception of squirrels. If you have a squirrel that you rescue or whatever that you keep in captivity, they cannot have a lot of nuts. So it's, really? it's all a veggie Corn? diet. It, yeah, they get MBD, metabolic bone disease, and they basically their, their bones freeze up. Um, so they cannot have too much calcium. So you have to – well, they need calcium. Yeah, sorry. But, yeah, they, they can't have a, a big nut diet in order to, to survive. Okay, so the, the typical lifespan of a squirrel, I hate to say that, but it is what? Um, like when, you, when you're driving your car and, and you see a squirrel on the road and he's, he's running around and they're cute, right? And they run up in a tree and then you watch them and they're hanging and they're doing tricks in the yard. That squirrel is probably how old? Uh, probably under a year. Really? Under yeah. a year. The average is six months to a year. Um, in, captiv- in captivity, though, 10 to 15. They can live up to 20 years, but it takes uh, the special squirrel, I guess. I don't know. As far as, like, we have not seen fif- 20 years yet. The highest we've seen is 14. And I would imagine that um, that, that short life expectancy for a squirrel is for the, uh, the reasons that we would think, right? Hawks, I mean, I- owls, and the car. I think their success rate of getting across the street is probably 50% or something. It's, it's got to be low. Um, I'm, I'm typically usually pretty impressed at their ability. They're, they're very unpredictable <laughs> in the way they dart, though, right? They're not the smartest of things. Uh, okay, so Twiggy's going to be doing shows out here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival on how many occasions? Um, you've how got one more time today and then four shows tomorrow and three, I think, on Sunday. How long is Twiggy in the water? Um, it, it depends on her. Sometimes it's a 15-minute show. Sometimes it's a 20. If she wants to ski, it's a 20. <laughs> How much practice throughout the year, if at all, once Twiggy has it down, is there? None. None? None. Once she has it, I mean, we've gone a couple of months without skiing her and come out and do a show, and she does perfect. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. So she knows as soon as she sees the whole deal? Yeah. Squirrels are very smart. People don't understand how smart they are. So, yeah, no. Except for when deciding which way to cross the road, (laughs) right? Now, can I I give Twiggy a pet? Is that... You want to hold her? Can I hold Twiggy? Yeah, for sure. This would be the greatest thing ever. Put it right to your chest. Right on my chest. Hi, Hi, Twiggy. Oh, yes. Hello. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Mm-hmm. Now, Twiggy's very, very relaxed. Very right? relaxed. That one. Now, now we have Twiggy number uh, 11 back with us as well. She's more of a squirrely kind of squirrel that just wants to be on the go all the time. Now, now Twiggy's getting a little bit, what do I do here if Twiggy jumps? If she jumps, uh, we'll hopefully get her back. Now, here's my other question. Because Chuck Best is our guest, by the way. Native of Florida, you're a Magic fan. You were a Magic I fan. Were, I were. No, I, I gave up on the Magic. Sorry, guys. But, no, Golden State fan now. Die hard. Well, it appears as though squirrels aren't the only thing around your household that are jumping from one thing to the next, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you this. People's natural tendency to want to rescue a squirrel, they find one that's injured in the yard, etc. 
Is it advisable, or can people actually do more harm by trying to help out? They can do a lot more harm than good. So if you find a squirrel, I just got a call actually today. Someone called me like, hey, what do I do with a squirrel? you got to find a local rehabber um, because there's a special diet, especially as a baby, and there's a special thing you got to do as far as from the beginning of when you get them to when you release them back to the wild. So find a local rehabber. Make sure the rehabber knows what they're doing. And uh, you can go to any Fish and Wildlife uh, website to find a local rehabber that you can really do a good favor to the squirrel. What's Chuck your them? selection process for, for That's a twiggies? Question. Rehabber? No, no, for uh, you. For What's your selection process for the next twiggies? Is it just rescuing any squirrel? Do you, is there a certain you can see geographical the map that you're, you're targeting? Nah, they're, they're all, I mean, it just kind of depends as far as the squirrel's personality, but I mean, we don't really select. They, they pretty much, as far as any squirrel that we have, we're able to work with them and they have sure. like, a good personality, but they all have their own personality. Right. And that's the uniqueness as far as if you come to the show, we have two squirrels skiing at the same time now, by the way, so you can see both of their personalities in the show. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been very fortunate, Chuck, over the course of my career to do a lot of cool things Yep. as a sports broadcaster and radio announcer. I don't know that any's better than this. That like like having Twiggy like I have a, like just sitting here petting a squirrel is pretty awesome. I got to pet the penguins at the zoo once. That was cool, but this is pretty cool. But I'm I'm worried that Twiggy is nervous. Nope, she's relaxed. She, if she was nervous, she'd be running trying to find a place to hide. I think she's very comfortable on my uh, unfortunately soft belly is what you know. What I mean? <laughs> but let me tell you something: six three two fifteen is what you're looking at here, uh, Chuck. Okay, one more time. Give us the times in which Twiggy's going to be for people that want to come out. Just ten dollars tickets, twenty dollars for the weekend pass, and um, obviously the next few days Twiggy's going to be in action, and that's going to be what times or how many times? All right. So, so one more show today at two thirty. Tomorrow, get here early because I can guarantee you if you are not at the show before 30 minutes, you're probably not going to get a seat. But you got 9.30, 11.30, 2.30, and 5. Sunday, same thing, 9.30, 11.30, and 2.30. Get here early because if you're not here, you will probably have to wait till the next show. Well, Twiggy's a sweetheart. We appreciate you bringing her by. It's pretty awesome. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for I'm, – I'm a big fan of the furry friends, so thanks for helping her out, right? Yep. Uh, Jimmy, oh, do yeah. you want to hold Twiggy? Sure, I'll hold Twiggy. Now, how, how do I how do, I how do you transfer to uh, my fiance will help you. Yeah, please. Okay, here we go. She, she'll pick her up. But here's the thing: Twiggy's got used to me now, Jimmy. She's comfortable. I, She's very comfortable. Hi, Twiggy. Bye, bye. Do you have a soft belly? I do. Yes. yes. <laughs> you have a soft belly yeah, as well. I You're do. not supposed to confirm. No, no, I'm not. I I'm have not a soft belly. I'm not, you cannot uh, confirm or deny. Yeah. I cannot confirm or deny about Jake's, but I can confirm about mine. I mean, Twiggy. you know, come on. Let's be honest. Twi- Twiggy lives in the wild and has an occasional rock here and there. That's about what this uh, eight pack was. I had Sonic for dinner last night. What's it to you? What's so, oh. so what do you think, Jimmy? Twiggy's cool, right? Yeah, awesome. This is very, very far more chill than I anticipated. Chuck, who's your NFL team? You live in Florida. I know you said you're a basketball fan. Or would you be a Bucks fan? I'm a Bucks fan. Yeah, uh, I was a Florida State fan growing up, and Warwick Dunn and Peter Warwick both oh, yeah. went there. So, and then um, actually, I went to school at Seminole High School, and a friend of mine, oh, I totally forgot his name, but he went and played for the Bucks of the Center as well. well that's pretty cool. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, but uh, but you said basketball more so, right? I'm more so a basketball and, fan. And the Magic. Is there any hope for them? There. You know what? They just got that uh, dunk guy. Um, the college, what's his name? The he just won the dunk contest. Oh, hold on. Uh, oh man. You mean the the NBA? The he's he's he just got traded. Picked the, uh, up like yesterday or something like that. All right, hang on just a second. 
Uh, but but this is why you're Peter? a Warriors fan, right? I, I went to the Warriors uh, after Dwight Howard got got traded and uh, been following them ever since. That was a while ago. That, it was uh, 2008, 2009, I think it was, when he got traded. And I think it, that was actually when Steph went to the Warriors. So he got drafted, I think, in 2009. That's, that is good. Steph Curry is, I mean, I totally get it. Right? You're an early Steph totally adopter. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not oh, yeah. jumping in 2015. You're, you're early stages. No. I, I, I followed it. I love watching You're talking about Mac McClung, the guy that just Yes, the there it is. Yeah, yeah. Just signed yeah. him off of Philly. I think he was in the... Back and forth on a two-way yep. with Phil. Yeah, he won the dunk contest in yeah. February. Um, yep. All right, Chuck, we wish you uh, wish you the best. I guess it's easy to say that, but uh, appreciate you bringing by Twiggy. This was kind yeah, of the highlight thank of the you show very much. for us. Hey, so it's thanks very for cool. having me, and uh, we'll do it next time. Uh, again, Colts and Eagles, back to talking about that, Jimmy, in terms of, of last night. I, I didn't get a chance to ask you this. I had mentioned that Jonathan Taylor, I thought, probably was – loser's the wrong word, but the guy that, that, that came away from last night with – when you look at it because they were able to run the ball. It's not like you noticed he wasn't out there, and I hate to say that. But aside from that, give me the player and or players that you feel like uh, had the best night last night, aside from Richardson. I was impressed as a whole by the – Zaire Franklin stood out to me a time or two because there was was a handful of instances where – it was a miscue by him, another good response play in his part on the secondary, uh, the other part, or on the defensive end, I should say. And then on the running game as a whole, Jake, I had thought that they were going to have an Evan Hole touchdown right away. They called it a touchdown on the field, and they go and review it, and they say he's down, his, what, elbow or shoulder went down, just the one-yard line, and you're relying then on goal line situations for a running back room that does not involve Jonathan Taylor to be able to punch it in. And I know that it's not just going to be Evan Hall. It's going to be done by committee. You're going to need situational guys that are going to be able to execute in the red zone and execute in goal line situations. But they powered through. The offensive line held through in the trenches. And as you mentioned, it's not going to be the murderer's row that is that Eagles defensive front. The Eagles defense as a whole really week after week after week. They're the best in the National Football League for a reason. So while you have to take into account the fact they're going up against the twos to some extent, I, I was very impressed with the entire running back room as they were one of my, not keys to watch for yesterday, but they were one of my areas of I need to see more from you so that if Jonathan Taylor decides to hold out, you think the Colts are still able to move the, fall, move the ball down the field in such a way that it's not going to stunt the growth or force Anthony Richardson into pressing situations. You know, the one, um, the one area that I'm very, like, is really enigmatic to me with the Colts, the area to me that is the most enigmatic for the Colts, to be honest with you, Jimmy, is the tight end room because – I feel like there are four guys in that tight end room that are all pretty decent, but not one that that really separates from the rest. And it's almost like a rotation of guys that you look at and go, that's the guy, that's the standout. Moali Cox, Jelani Woods, Kylan Granson. You know, they're, they're each time that a different one has their number called, so to speak, then they're able to do something where you're like, okay, so I guess that's a luxury to an extent, but at the same time, you kind of want to see one of those guys really step up and say, you know, I mean, Will Mallory, for that matter. That's not a room I want done by committee. I want there to be a dominant, true force tight end. I mean, you know, they they were able to get plays from a number of different guys, but it almost feels like they got to pick like two or three and just go with it, right? And, and, And it 
everybody just kind of seemingly plays well enough, but nobody really jumps out at you, right? Yep. Some quarterbacks are going to rely heavily on tight ends. Some won't. But when you look at what, at times, not just a safety valve, but was an underrated part of the Eagles' offensive game plan. Yes, A.J. Brown was your main threat. Yes, you had a, had a good Thunder and Lightning tandem in the backfield. And yes, of course, you had Jalen Hurts. But how many times, particularly in that Super Bowl, is Dallas Goddard making big plays because he's a tight end number one? He might not be at the level of Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, but he's one of the first 5'10 names going to come off of your mouth when you're thinking about elite tight ends at that position. And if you have a reliable target like that, that's something that can also exceed the growth of Anthony Richardson. So that, that's what I've wanted to see is when they officially make their roster cuts, when they name their official depth chart for week one, is that going to be a room that is done by committee or is there going to be opportunities for somebody to finally seal the deal on being the tight end number one? Whether it's Molly Cox, whether it's Jelani Woods, Will Mallory, Colin Granson had some nice plays last night. I just want somebody that is going to be the clear can't call it tight end a workhorse necessarily, but the clear feature receiver in that room versus, eh, we'll throw out two or three guys here and there and we'll just rotate it. So a week from, what is today numerically? The 25th. 25th. So a week from tomorrow, I turn 51, which means, so does that mean that I am, this is like one of those year 2000 Y2K, like when does new millennium start? So am I in the second half Am I in the second century of my life, or does that begin in a week? <laughs> so I just completed year 50. So one to fi- so, so years zero to 50 you, is the first half century, right? Sure. So I don't start the second half century until a week from tomorrow, right? Yes. Brittany, I can tell, is, is doing my math. Am I right, Brittany? Yeah. Brittany Levinson. Which, which, so if I turn 51 next week, that begins the second half century, right? As opposed to when I turned 50. Okay. So the reason I say all of that is this. I might have to bill you for midlife crisis help here. Is that what uh, that, that we're, we're Jimmy, approaching that's on? Like, I, that was like five years. I mean, I do spray tan. <laughs> I do spray. I, don't, I, I have no desire to have like a, a sports convertible car. Okay. Right? Um, I, I do spray tan. I will admit that. I've had no. I will never like do cosmetic stuff. I have my own theory on that. Except for spray tanning. But, but that's how I maintain the glow that, that helps me look good. Um, but what better way to close out the first half century of my life? I mean, I've, I've been able to do some very fun and exciting and unique things. I, I, I managed to find my way into the Astrodome when it was condemned and bring home AstroTurf. I'm very proud of that. I, the first time I ever drove a car, it was on the main straight at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when I was 14. I'm very, very proud of that. That was legal, by the way, at the time. I mean, it was, I didn't break in. Uh, I'm very proud of that. I've covered a couple of Super Bowls. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate. None of this is a credit to me. Timing and placement, right? Holding Twiggy I knew for it. an entire I knew radio it. segment, that might be, I mean, literally, not only just a squirrel. I love squirrels. I, squirrels underrated. Rodents underrated. Twiggy, very cool. But not only Twiggy, but the fact that Twiggy water skis and took a break. My understanding is when Twiggy's not water skiing, Twiggy usually is sitting around smoking cigarettes or 
or hanging out with people. And the fact that Twiggy found time in Twiggy's schedule to hang out with me and then and you and then you for a couple of minutes by proxy, I was very fortunate to be able to, to be able to be part of that. Thanks Were you for, worried that Twiggy for, was going to leap off? Because I kind of was. Slight, yes, yes. <laughs> I was like I was. He was like, oh no, Twiggy. And, and also, great. I wasn't going to ask unless you offered it to me. That at that point, it feels like you know, I okay, I would need right. to be a part of it. Well, when when Twiggy started getting a little restless, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, like we could have an issue here. What if, can you imagine? A Twiggy I saw the would, trainer in the back, by the way, when I was holding Twiggy, it looked like I didn't have the same firm grip that you did, and Twiggy was kind of this... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want, did not want to be responsible for Twiggy on the loose. I was getting a little bit. It's a great worried. radio segment. Uh, though, hey, by Jake, the way. your 50th birthday means you have lived for 50 years. So that day starts the next half century. Your 50th birthday, you will have started the first year of your second century. See, this, there's too much math here. I mean, I had to use a, a tutor for uh, an entire year at Glendale Library just to get a passing grade in algebra. So I, there's no way I'm going to be able to figure this out. But I think my second, I think the second half century starts next week. That's my thought. But you but you've made it. it but you've made it a century already. If God forbid you don't make it to next week. Well, I, if it was Jimmy, it was close. I understand that. Believe me. And I feel that's believe, why I, I need me. Word, someone please knock on wood here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. I, please. I was, I was within the time distance of one Twiggy show of the clog <laughs> not getting undone. Let's put it that way. But you've made it 50 years now. But that's correct. If we're writing that up. Almost 51, It's not going to say at 49. It didn't make it a full decade. All I know is decade. I got to see Twiggy, and so too can you if you come to the Hoosier Hardwood Festival here at the Boone County 4-H Fairgrounds. Exit 138 off I-65 tomorrow and Sunday. Nine until six tomorrow, nine until four on Sunday, and then still until five o'clock today for the festival and all of the wood that comes with it. We'll talk more about it coming up. But again, Kevin Bowen going to join us top of the hour. We'll talk Colts and Eagles last night, preseason game number three, and Anthony Richardson's uh, most extensive time under center for the Colts. We'll continue the conversation. You're listening to Quarian Company, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, I got to give a shout out, Jake, to our very own Todd Meyer, because he came in with a demand earlier this week with the Jonathan Taylor trade rumors and what the Colts should be seeking in return for him. And he said, if they're going to move Jonathan Taylor, we need to also get a running back in return from some of these teams. And, and unbeknownst to him, we'll give a little bit of love to CBSSports.com here. They've been running, like many people have, of potential trade rumors or where Jonathan Taylor might end up. And every one of these scenarios, except for the Bears, will go Cardinals, will go Dolphins, will go Eagles, will go Panthers. There's a running back attached within the deal. So, lo and behold... Todd Meyer suddenly is in a crystal ball and, and mapping out potential moves that could happen in this JT trade. You know, and here's the thing, though. I just I think running back is such a fungible position that my assumption is, while I guess it, it makes sense to get a running back back for that security, the reality is, you have those on your roster that you, I think you can go by committee to an extent, right? Unless it's somebody that has – I mean, they have guys on their roster right now that have starting experience and that have but, – but, again, I mean, the injury obviously 
Tomas changes things a little bit, but give me a couple of the scenarios of, of which are mentioned. Okay, so we'll we'll eliminate we the ones that don't. We we'll, we'll eliminate running. We'll eliminate wide receivers. Cardinals get Jonathan Taylor. It's a 2024 second, a 2024 third, and James Conner to the Colts. Dolphins won. I'll throw two at you. You can do with them what you want. Dolphins get Jonathan Taylor. Colts get 2024 second, 2025 second. Raheem Mostert and Cedric Wilson Jr., wide receiver from the Dolphins. I mean, you're talking about guys that have had, you know, production, but also are, again, I just think the running back position, you got like a three-year window. You know what I mean? Yes. I, fantasy football is a prime example of this. How many guys do you know in your fantasy football draft that are like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to kill it this year. I drafted so-and-so. And you're like, yeah, man, that guy was good three years ago. <laughs> it it does happen a fall lot. In love, you know what I mean? You fall in love with names and numbers and whatever else. Uh, Kevin Bowen going to talk to us about that probably and much more from last night's Colts-Phillies game. Colts-Philly, I should say. The game. Uh, the co-host of The Wake Up Call with KB and Andy joins us next. You are listening to Query and Company here, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We are here again, Hoosier Hardwood Festival, right off exit 138 and I-65. Uh, highlight of my life, Twiggy the water skiing squirrel came by a little bit ago. Got to sit there and hold Twiggy, who got a little restless towards the end. I was a little nervous, but everything worked out okay. Uh, joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that introduction. He is, of course, the morning co-host on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. And uh, Kevin, first off, if you had a nap between the morning show, that's what I used to do, right, when we would do the show. I would nap. A lot of times it would start about 8.30, um, but then nap later. Have you been able to do that? Because I would imagine it was kind of a long night as well. Well, I, I have not, but it seems very on brand for you to be. You say you're petting a squirrel. Did you bring the stuffed animal, too, that you sleep with? I'm sure the squirrel would have loved to have seen that. That'd be cow, my stuffed animal. I did not. Um, Twiggy was – Twiggy was. listen, I, I'm big with squirrels. Twiggy was cool. Twiggy was comfortable. Got a little restless towards the end. It, probably you can relate to that, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly an issue. But no, there has not been a nap yet on the radar. I think I'll sleep pretty easy tonight, though. So, yeah. Luckily, the only only prime time action for the Colts this season. Uh, your impressions, first off, we'll get to Richardson. We've talked a lot about that. But Kevin, let's take Anthony Richardson out of the equation, which seems silly because that's obviously the focal point for the Colts this year. But if you take Anthony Richardson out of the equation, give me other areas that jumped out at you or a player or two that you thought really showed themselves well last night. Yeah, I know something you and I have talked about, Jake, is tight end a lot. That's, to me, just a wide-open position group. Who makes the team? How many make the team? Uh, what the playing time looks like? I thought... Three of those guys really jumped out, and the three that played, that would be um, Kylan Granson and Will Mallory and Drew Ogletree. Ogletree had the big catch and run on that first touchdown series. So I'd say that is probably what jumped out to me offensively. I guess if you want to go negative, I'd like to see Alec Pierce give me a little bit more, especially give Anthony Richardson a little bit more, whether it's you know, being competitive at, with contested catches or certainly making a play that he didn't make in Buffalo. Defensively, I thought they stopped the run. 
really well uh, against, I guess, Philly's backups. And then I thought the D-line could have given you a little bit more. I mean, that's your starting D-line with tons of draft picks and money, um, you know, associated with that group. And so that is an area that I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of. But it's just hard to evaluate something Andy and I talked about earlier today. I mean, your starters have been together for 15, 15 series in the preseason. That's a lot. Nine on offense, six on defense. And they've yet to see a starting quarterback. So it's one of those things where when you win four games, typically you play, play your starters a lot in the preseason. And the opponent uh, oftentimes is not. So that's kind of where the Colts are at at the end of September. Kev, let's operate underneath the assumption that Jonathan Taylor is not with the Colts week one. Not saying he gets traded, not saying he's not available, but just for some reason of those two, he is not the running back leading the Colts week one. And let's say that Zach Moss is eligible, healthy, and active to play. Did you see enough from this running back by committee that we saw through the preseason to think that Zach Moss will not be the first back off the depth chart for this committee approach? Did Evan Hold do enough to take that away from him when he's back? Well, it sounds like a degenerate 18 team <laughs> fantasy football question. I do have a draft on Saturday. I do have a draft on Saturday. It's important. Yeah, and it would be on brand for you to go that route. Um, <laughs> I think if Zach Moss is healthy, Zach Moss is playing on first and second down, and Evan Hall would be the third down, and Deion Jackson would kind of be the first guy out of the bullpen and, you know, would sub in for Moss. I mean, I think Moss is a first and second down guy. I think he proved that late last year. Um, you know, it's a broken arm. It's not like you're worried about him kind of lower body coming off the injury when he gets back. So I think that's how the rotation would look. And then pay attention to Tuesday. I mean, do you make any waiver claims, any moves there? I think that's something certainly to keep an eye on. But if no Taylor, Moss is back. I'd say Moss first and second down. And, I mean, I thought Evan Hall has had some decent moments in the passing game. And, you know, he caught a ton of balls in Northwestern. And, you know, he picked up a huge blitzer last night um so i think for a rookie day three pick it's kind of a big responsibility but i think he deserves a shot at it that's the thing kevin i thought last night notably you know kirk herbstreet i mean i I certainly respect kirk herbstreet's opinion and and ability to observe and he seemed pretty impressed with hole i mean i think he was thinking to himself like wait a minute i'm not saying he's a starter but this is a guy that could work his way into the mix and I think that says as much probably about Hull as it does also just the position in general because we've become accustomed to thinking that you've got to have like that home run hitter in Taylor but the way that Steichen Drew plays up last night Kevin would you agree that it seems to forecast the ability for them to kind of rotate players through by committee if in fact Taylor's not available yeah, that is a good point. I, you know, I also think, too, with Hull, I mean, Jake, you've seen so many rookie running backs come through this market. You know, Edwin James being the gold standard of it. Like, can you hold up in pass protection or not? I mean, that's a huge, huge ordeal, especially with the NFL being a much different passing league than college game is. And, again, I think Hull you know, called the ball nicely at Northwestern, and I, I guess it was one rep I'm going off of. But you know, I, I thought he's held up in pass protection decently well. So, Uh, That's always an area I think you look at rookie running backs and you're kind of uncertain, can they do that? Can they be three-down guys? Um, So I think that's a question that you have. I will add this, though. I I feel like in watching Richardson through the first two preseason games he's played, when I watch the run game operate, I just see massive creases and lanes, and I see Hull and Deion Jackson getting what's blocked. 
I don't see them breaking the tackle and getting to the next level. And that is something I feel like the home run hitter next to Richardson would, would give you, something like that. I think there's so much respect for Richardson in the run game that if you put a dude next to him and not just a guy, I think you could go from four yards per carry to even more. So uh, that is something that I think you have to uh, have to acknowledge. Kevin, is Anthony Richardson – and I listen. He impressed me last night. I know that if you look at the numbers, you know he's a he's kind of a beyond the box score guy. I, I think that when you look at it, the, the numbers. If you just analyzed the statistics, you'd go, "Ah, eh, there's there's some improvement." That and obviously there is improvement that needs to be made. But if there's one area that that I thought he was most impressive, it was just his overall comfort level. Like he just looked like. And I know he's not going against Philly's number one unit, but the 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 internal clock for him in the pocket I think he looks very poised in terms of understanding when all hell's about to break loose and then making something out of it now I'm not saying that's going to maintain over the course of the year consistently but last night I thought that was the most impressive thing about him what say you yeah you know it's funny you say that Jake when the draft happened back in late April the first thing that Chris Ballard said walking into that media room afterwards was nothing about the combine. It was about his point. And, like, that was the trait that stood out. Because, you know, how many times do you see the freak athlete and yet when the lights come on or things get a little chaotic, they just kind of crumble. They just kind of cripple. And I think you watch Richardson and it is poised. And I think he kind of exudes himself with a little bit of that swagger. I think he plays with a little bit of that. Like, even when he escapes, I don't think he's immediately escaping the run. You know, last night he threw that ball to Kylan Granson, which was initially called the catch, and then they overturned it. Again, that's a play where I think if you were a running quarterback, you might scramble to, you know, scramble and actually run. But there he's keeping his eyes down the field. You know, he looks left. He tries to make a play there. So, boys, I think is a huge part of his game, and it's a big reason why they were sold. Because, obviously, 13 games doesn't sell you. Six and six in Florida doesn't sell you. 53% doesn't sell you. So, what does? And it can't just be you know, a creative player molded out of clay. There's got to be more to playing quarterback than that. And I think that that, that that poise word is certainly a big word. And I think it's something that he has shown an ability to have. Obviously, he's going to get thrown into different situations and, and people are going to be scheming up against them and all of that. But um, I would say it's something that, you know, gives you a little bit of hope of like, okay, he can handle this, even though, again, the resume, you know, really lacks from a statistical standpoint. Easier fix, Kevin, in your opinion. Kevin Bowen, our guest. Easier fix. Anthony Richardson to learn how to take a little off his fastball with slants or or intermediate throws or receivers adjusting to the velocity of which the ball is coming. Oh, I think it's Richardson's got to take some off. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe going to ramp up the old... Uh, the old gun and, 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 you know, try to catch balls off the jug machine at, at you know, higher rate or something like that. But, yeah, I think he's, he's just got to tone it down a little bit. Um, and I just think it's his comfort zone. You know, I think we all were there back in the day growing up where you have the pitcher that just guns the 98-mile-per-hour fastball and doesn't have much else. And I think that's something with Richardson of, like, does he have other velocities and does he feel comfortable, like, knowing when to use those other pitches, if you will, of like, no, man, you don't need 98 here. You need like 88. So uh, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I tend to think it's got to be him dialing it back a little bit. 
KB, our next guest, James Boyd, mentioned this on Twitter last night. Mina Kimes pointed it out as well. I know you've stressed it within your training camp notebook and all the lead-ups in our countdown coverage on 107.5thefan.com in the lead-up to week one. At its best, how often will the Colts RPO teams to death and utilize what we saw at its peak, again, even though against the twos, quick decision-making from the rookie quarterback? Yeah, I mean, they're going to do it to, to death. I mean, anybody that's been out of training camp will see heavy shotgun, heavy zone read, heavy RPO, a lot of tempo. And if you've seen the first two preseason games, that's what they've done. I know Amazon threw up a stat last night of how much he's been in shotgun. You know, obviously that has been seen. So, yeah, I mean, it, this is going to look very much like a, uh, like a Saturday offense. If that's what you're utilizing on a week-to-week basis, as long as you have – Competency seems too low of a bar, but as long as you have some type of stability, can that continue to flourish and work regardless of who's in the backfield? Or how game-changing would that be for this offensive look if Ian Rappaport is incorrect and it's not a bridge too far of, of mending fences with Jonathan Taylor? Good question. I mean, Taylor incorporating himself into this offense would still be an adjustment for him. I mean, he's a guy that at Wisconsin, it's not like he had quarterbacks like this or they ran an offensive system like this at all. So I do think it would be an adjustment, but I tend to think 225 pounds and 4-3-40 speed, once he gets going, that would kind of take over. So I, I'll go back to what I said earlier to Jake's question of I still think when I watch the run game, again, going against backups, it's blocked pretty darn well, I think. But turning four into six and six into ten, those are still plays that I think – Taylor would give you more. Kevin Bowen joins us. You know him on 107.5thefan.com as our Colts beat writer, of course, the host of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy, 7 to 10 a.m. on the fan. You have a piece on 107.5thefan.com, five things learned as Anthony Richardson leads trio of scoring drives, and it's not just about the game. It's also a look ahead to next week. Your third point on that piece talks about the roster cut dilemma that the Colts have. Kind of a two-part question. One, how does the Danny Pinter injury and once we get you know more understanding of what the Colts are going to operate with in that regard how does that impact the choices that they have to make and then how aggressive you highlight this as well do you anticipate them being with that fourth waiver spot once other cuts are made by other teams yeah I think the Pinter injury is a big deal I felt awful for him last night and just when you saw teammates react how they did it was I think he's one of the more well-respected guys in that locker room, and, and so I feel you know bad for him in that situation. And you know when you look at you know how the offensive line makeup is, I think he's your sixth guy. I think I mean he started last night for for Ryan Kelly. It's obviously a critical spot, so that opens up if he is out. That opens up a spot certainly, and the trickle-down effect is not a lot of experience with that depth group. I was talking about it earlier today. Let's say Penter is out six. Seven, eight on that O line. Got two guys in Blake Freeland and Carter O'Donnell. Never played an offensive snap in the NFL. And Arlington Hambright would probably be the eighth guy, and he hasn't played snap in the NFL since 2020. So that's an incredible amount of an experience. When we all saw the play happen, I mean that, that can happen on any play in an NFL game. And you know, hindsight, I know it's super 2020, but part of me was like, man, should Pinter have even been in there? in the second half after he'd started the whole first half and played every snap. And you know, that's probably more hindsight than, than anything. But in a contract year, you, you just feel terrible for the guy and you hope it's not too, too serious. 
Did you jinx Danny Pinter, Kevin? I, I mean, I'm not trying to make too much light of it, but but did you jinx him yesterday? Well, I, I you know, first off, I feel awful for Pinter and his family. Secondly, I'm like, God, do I have those powers? Because if I do, I <laughs> showed up in my gambling resume at all. So for um, those that are unaware, you were talking about, I mean, innocuously enough, but take us through what you were talking about and, and what I noticed yesterday. Yeah, so um, I was referencing someone getting hurt in the game. I think, ironically, if I'm not mistaken, I said Michael Pittman first. And then I was like, well, Michael Pittman's really good and really important. Lo and behold, Pittman gets hurt. <laughs> then he comes back in the game, and then Pinter goes down and gets carted off. And next thing I know, my mentions are filled with Ball State people telling me I jinxed him and cursed him and how dare I do that. And Jake Query's sending me videos at 11.45 at night of me jinxing him, and I'm <laughs> – Laying in my bed, just thinking to myself, what did I do? Um, well, thank you for absolving so, Pitt because that we could be in really dangerous territory today if if that is where things went. Had you not used your powers to, to back look, off of that, Kevin? Obviously, it was just a terrible coincidence. I mean, I'm making light <laughs> of it, but it is interesting. You were talking about the impact if players in contract years were to get hurt. And you're like, I don't know, you know, Danny Pinter, and you threw his name out there, and then lo and behold, he gets hurt. But, um, but I do think, and I remember a year ago, I caught a lot of heat, probably rightly so, where we listed our 10 most important players. And I had mentioned Danny Pittner because of, not because he's outstanding in any one position, but his versatility to be able to be a backup or a safety net in multiple positions. Um, so now we have a, a, a situation where I'm assuming he's going to be out a while. How big a blow is that to the depth of their offensive line, Kevin? Yeah, you guys are bringing up a little bit on me, but I think I kind of followed basically you're saying how, how big of a loss would Pinter be. You know, Jake, something you and I have talked about. You know, last year the offensive line play was utterly horrific, and with Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, and Ryan Kelly, those three – they started 50 of 51 games. It's not like you had the normal offensive line injuries that you would have in a season. So I'm not going to act like Pinter's been some all-pro when he's been in there, but I think there's been moments where you're like, okay, there might be something here, particularly when he plays center. So, yes, I think it'd be a drop-off. And like I said, you're so inexperienced after him. I mean, he is easily the most experienced, certainly interior guy. Dan Skipper would be the other guy out of tackle. That would be a little bit more – from an experience standpoint, but um, yeah, I, I think it would be a big deal. And Tuesday at four o'clock ro- rolls around. Waiver claims need to be there. Anybody jump out at you in terms of the defensive backfield, Kevin? An area where the Colts have um, a, a lot of need and a lot of opportunity for different players. Did, is there anybody that jumped out where you said, "Okay, they really made a nice claim for themselves last night"? Well, I'd say last night in the whole preseason, I think Jalen Jones, number 40 out of Texas A&M, uh, seventh-round pick, has been really solid. And part of it is Juju Brents and Darius Rush have been uh, unavailable due to respective injuries, so that's a big deal. But Jalen Jones, 6'2", SEC corner, former five-star recruit, whether it's special teams or defense, I think he's made some statements. So he is certainly, I think, on the roster. There's no doubt about that. And I would say he's probably your fourth corner if you're going to go play tomorrow. KB, since we're not going to talk to you again until after cutdowns happen and until we get a resolution on Jonathan Taylor's stint on the pup, how do things change? I know they set the deadline reportedly for Tuesday for the trade seeking to be done, but how does this entire Colts NFL-wide thing with Jonathan Taylor change if he is still on the pup after cutdowns occur? 
Is he still on the puff? Yes. I mean, well, he's missed the four, first four games. Yeah, I mean, then I mean, then the physical injury story is, is huge. I mean, that's the first four games, and then you're talking about he might miss the entire year. If you're on pup, there's a chance you could go on IR after that, or he would return. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't let my brain go there quite yet, Jimmy, but that would be absolutely, you know, much more the physical storyline than just some of the complexities we have with it of, like, is he hurt? Is he really hurt? If he put pen to paper tomorrow, would he play? Um, yeah, that would be a huge, huge deal, more in the physical realm. So, Kevin, here's a really dumb question for you, and I know that that stuns you coming from me. Um, if Jonathan Taylor begins the year, what is the, when is the NFL trade deadline? The trade like, deadline, I want to say, is usually like a day or two before Halloween. It's usually like whenever that Tuesday is, the okay. final week yeah, of right. October. So here's my question. And my apologies if we just kind of covered this. But if Jonathan Taylor, for whatever reason, begins the season on the Colts' pup list, meaning ineligible for four games, if he is traded, let's say, in week two, let's say Miami decides they have to have Jonathan Taylor and they trade him, can Miami then remove him off of the pup list upon acquiring him, or does he have to maintain on the pup list for the team that is inheriting him? Yeah, I would say he's got to maintain his spot. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but my assumption would be if you are on the pup list at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, then you have to be there for the four weeks. Because that's a real balancing act for Indianapolis now and for Chris Ballard, right? Because depending on whether or not they feel like he is still a piece that could be traded or flipped, then you've got to factor that in on what you do with that roster spot, right? Sure, yeah, and I think that's why I, I, I would be stunned if he was still on pop again Tuesday at 4 o'clock. I think as long as you expect him to play in the first four weeks of the season, you're, you're taking him off the pup list, whether it's for you or for another team. I mean, you really stunt what you can do within those first four weeks if you leave him on pup. So that's why you're saying to Jimmy's question, like, if he is on pup, then this physical – I mean, this, this ankle is, is no joke, which, I mean, maybe we should be paying more uh, – more attention to that because he has missed nine, nine or ten months. The only reason I'm worried about it, Kev, is because I keep going back and forth, and, and I'm trying to stay out of you know tinfoil hat territory. But how much of the injury conversations with him have been gamesmanship by both sides, and how much of it is, yeah, he, he really is still banged up to the point that he's not going to be able to go out there because it, it not only impacts. Like You start to question a lot of what's happened with this timeline, both for the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, if it winds up being next week that it's four games he's missing because it's not only at that point legitimizing the injury completely and not to say that it's not now, but it impacts Jonathan Taylor negatively because it doesn't count for time served with the team. Yeah, and that's something I need to double-check, Jimmy, of like a you know, full year on injured reserve. What would that mean? Um I don't think, to your point, it would count as accredited season, but I, I got to double-check that. And okay. I mean, there's just so many layers to this, which just, you know, is, is beyond frustrating to it all. Are you surprised so late in the game that they decided to allow him and his agent to seek a trade? Or, or is it just a, a gesture, olive branch of good faith here, that is a, a, a smartly played late-stage chip in this negotiation process. Yeah, I mean, saying Olive Branch with anything, and this seems a bit of a, you know, that's kind of a bit wishful thinking in my, my opinion. I think there's an element of like, all right, you go out there. 
and see what you have. Like, you go out there and take a look at the market, come back to us, and are we that far off? Again, it doesn't sound like they are necessarily negotiating at all. It more sounds like we're going to wait. So unless you think you can get something in August that you like, we're going to wait and reevaluate. Then for Taylor, you have to say, are they really waiting? Or are they just going to do the same song and dance that pretty much every NFL team does of you, that they wait, but then – you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't get the multi-year sort of extension that he thinks he deserves. Obviously. Okay, Kevin. Last question for me, Kevin Bowen, our guest. Give me the guy that now that the preseason, in terms of games played, um, you know, we've seen the body of work. Give me the guy that, when everybody reported to Grand Park in Westfield, was a certainty for the roster. That now, and I'm not talking about Jonathan Taylor, I'm not talking about, say, Danny Pinter, but now the guy that actually is going to have rougher night sleeps between now and final cutdown days than he perhaps anticipated. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the Mo Alley Cox thing is interesting. You know, in some ways, people could say he's kind of helped himself just that he's been available. You know, there's some tight ends that haven't, not, haven't been as available as him. Granted, he's missed a good chunk of time. Um,. I, at this point, I wouldn't put Mike Strawn on the football team. I, I don't know if he was definitely on it or not. Probably not. But he would be somebody that I would say no. They, they signed a defensive tackle in the offseason named Haven Bryan. He's a former first-round pick. You know, just out of name recognition, he might be a guy that you know, I think is probably on the bubble. Uh, Outside of that, I, I don't know. I, I know, like, th- that's the topic we get every year at this time of, like, oh, you know, who, who's the big name? I just don't know if we've had anybody like Ben Banigou from, from last year where it's like, well, there's a huge debate whether you put him on there or not. I, I don't know if there is that guy, which you know, sounds like a cop-out, but I don't know, maybe I'll be proven wrong on Tuesday, but I, I, I don't think there's anybody necessarily. Again, I'll, I'll go back to Mo. You know, do you trade Mo Ali Cox for the equivalent of a Mo Ali Cox at another position? because you feel good about your other tight end, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Mike Strawn is one of those, Kevin, to be honest with you, that I kind of feel like if it was going to happen for him, it would have done so by now, right? Like it would have jumped out by now and we would have known it, right? Yeah, and like, you know, when you were in year three and you're a six-round draft pick and you've, you've had five catches, let's say you're a wideout, you're a six-round draft pick, you've had five catches in two years, you better find a role on special teams or else you're not staying in this league. And, again, I just think he's a liability when it comes to special teams. KB, last, last thing on my end. How you feeling about the opener for Notre Dame across the pond? I know Jake's very excited about that question. He's been begging me to ask it for you all interview. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm shocked Jake didn't lead off with more Notre Dame <laughs> yeah, questions. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Navy, you know, tip of the cap to Navy. I mean, I always am curious about what they're going to look like. 20 and a half, I'll, I will stay away. You never bet against the academy. You only bet for the academy. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, having said that, 38-13 Irish. Love it. Uh, there's some beautiful Notre Dame wood carvings here. You want to Venmo me something, I can get you something. Or we can split it and get it for Jake. We can do that as well. I think he'd appreciate that uh, on his desk. Kevin hey. Bowen, always nice stuff to make some time with us. Appreciate you, KB. Have a wonderful weekend. Send me pictures, Jimmy, and God bless you for working with Jake. I will talk to you, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Come Thanks, on man. now. It's Kevin Bowen. You can follow Look, him on Twitter. I, I'll, I'll give the guy credit. The Notre Dame woodworking piece is nice. I mean, he's done a nice job with it. It, it just should be 
You gotta admit, this is a cool looking logo, isn't it? I mean, I bet you. Is that we, a cool we, logo? It's a beautiful logo. But we are we are we, we are at what I'm willing to put all chips in here at all the wood chips exactly in. at the wood carving capital Period. of the world right now. You take that logo to somebody. There's lumber, there's wood carvers around here. They'll get that done for you, Jake. You You're can right. live your dream. But here's the thing, though. The Clemson Paw, there's a little wrinkle down at the bottom there. Mm. They actually took an actual tiger from, I believe it was the Anderson, <laughs> South Carolina Zoo, when they first, and, and they dipped his paw in ink, and he had a wrinkle at the bottom of his paw. Really? And that little wrinkle in the Clemson logo, is that's what separates it as the trademark from places like Hamilton Heights and other schools that use that logo. Yeah. The little wrinkle there is how the university knows that you ripped off. I'll let you highlight that to the YouTube audience as we step aside. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts. Just look at a logo of Clemson. You'll see a little wrinkle at the bottom. You'll get it. Maytay with us next. There's a more intelligent way to keep your home comfortable this summer. Luxair Premium Residential Systems with unquestionable efficiency to save you money. Undeniable quality because every Luxair unit is designed, engineered, and assembled to last. Now that's a smart choice in home comfort. Contact Capital Supplies to learn more about becoming a Luxair dealer. Capital Supplies and Luxair, a combination you can count on. 317-926-6061. Hey, it's JMV here for the absolute best in realty. Mark Deedle, Mark Deedle Realty, 317-755-4232. That's 317-755-4232. Online, markdeedle.com, Mark, D-I-E-T-E-L.com. Today, Rich and Cindy in Greenwood needed a little bit of help. What they did was hire Mark Deedle and his team, and they closed on their old place in one week with a cash offer. I'm telling you, whatever you're saying, situation, you know you're going to get the best when you get with Mark Deedle of Mark Deedle Realty. 317-755-4232. Mark Deedle guarantees your home sold at a mutually agreed upon price and deadline or he will buy it. He's the best. Mark Deedle. Mark Deedle Realty. 317-755-4232. 317-755-4232. That's online. MarkDeedle.com. Mark D-I-E-T-E-L.com. Today. JMV here for Sundown Gardens, and Sundown is having their second. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Hardwood Festival is where you find us at the Boone County Fairgrounds, right off exit 138 and I-65. I just kind of took a walk around and some fabulous exhibitors here in terms of woodworking. As we mentioned, Twiggy the water skiing squirrel doing his thing out here. He joined us on the program earlier, which was awesome. Uh, last night, the Colts were in the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia taking on the Eagles. Joining us now on the hotline, courtesy of Shelby Materials, as you just heard, your concrete and aggregate experts. Matt Taylor joins us, the voice of the Colts. Matt, before we begin in talking about just the game itself and, and the roster and some of the different performers, I, I am curious, and I wanted to ask you this, because I do think people find this stuff interesting. So last night they're in Philadelphia. That means that right now you are where, and assuming that that is Indianapolis, give me like kind of the rundown of how it works 
for an NFL team on a primetime game and their return back to Indianapolis from the city they were in the night before. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, so last night, you know, game gets over about 11 o'clock. Uh, we're on the team bus um, back to the airport. I think we took off probably uh, about about one one thirty, and then you know between landing and going back to the team complex, then going back to my house. I think I got back to my house about four thirty in the morning, and uh, you know saw saw my wife and kids for about uh, you know ten minutes. I would say this morning when I got up. You know, they were kind of getting out the door, getting ready to start their day and go to school about 7.30. So, you know, took a little bit of a doze and, and saw them off to their day. And then I went back to sleep for a couple hours. I got up about 9 and took a shower. And I'm physically back into the office right now, um, you know, kind of putting the game from last night to bed. So kind of running on fumes a little bit. We were in Philadelphia for, you know, three and a half, four days. You know, we landed late afternoon on Monday had the joint practice on Tuesday. Uh, then we're there, obviously, Wednesday and Thursday, getting ready for the game. So it, it's, it's, it's been a long week. Um, but, you know, the preseason's over, and, and now you're getting ready for cut time. But, yeah, it's kind of running on fumes a little bit with the wild couple of, of uh, weeks here with the Colts with joint practices and preseason games. So it's been busy. So from the time that you left for Philadelphia, through the practices, through the game last night, and then getting back today, is there any one thing that jumps out at you as a question that you had about the team when you were on your way to Philly that you felt like was answered either via practice or the game during the time in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think to me, you know, what I kind of feel good about now more so than, you know, like 10, 12 days ago when training camp really kind of started to heat up. And by that, I mean – you know, you played Buffalo, and then you had joint practices with the Bears, and then two preseason games, another joint practice with the Eagles. What I feel, I feel confident in going into the season is just the Colts secondary. You know, feel really good about the growth and the development of some of their second-year players that are now starters. If you're playing a game tomorrow, Jake, you know it. You know, Dallas Flowers on the outside, and Nickel, and and Daryl Baker Jr. as well, with Kenny Moore on the inside, and you know. That's why I think these joint practices, especially the the hookup with uh, the Eagles on Tuesday, was so valuable because you had A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith going up and making plays. And they made plays on goal balls on those two players. But you know what? That's okay. Like, you learn. You grow from your failures. And, you know, those guys, again, they just went up and made plays. The Colts had really good coverage on those players. But you have to tip your cap to elite players at their position, and that's what Brown and, and Smith, that's, that's who those guys are. And so I think it was just invaluable experience for Baker and Dallas Flowers and Juju Prince and Jalen Jones to go up against some of the game's best. And certainly, you know, Philadelphia, you know, they, they have that to offer on offense. And, you know, Rick Venturi kind of joked, and I agree with him, you know, we were watching the practice on Tuesday you know, at certain positions, the Eagles make the Bears look like a JV team. I mean, they're just that talented. And that's why even though they didn't succeed 100% of the time, it's it's so invaluable for those young corners for the Colts to see the best in the game, you know, to see the best that the NFL has to offer. And so, like, that's why in week one when the Colts play the Jaguars, you know, they're not going to be too starstruck from, you know, from Ridley and – you know, some of their players, Zay Jones uh, for, for, the, uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they've got great players, 
but I don't think they're on the same level as A.J. Brown and Smith and so on and so forth. So that's why I think it's really, really big for the Colts to see some of those players in person, in a joint practice, to kind of grow that confidence and to know, hey, I kind of hung in coverage with these guys. I can cover anybody else in the NFL that that I'm going to see on a week-to-week basis. Matt, back-to-back preseason, or I shouldn't say back-to-back because he didn't play in the Bears game, obviously, but you have Buffalo and then you have Philadelphia. First drive struggles, not solely on Anthony Richardson either time, but by the Colts' offense. They bounce back and they respond, and Richardson obviously leads together a couple of scoring drive. What impressed you the most specifically with Anthony Richardson? I know it's an incredibly small sample size, but that's what we have to go off of with the reps that he has between mm-hmm. the quarter that he got in Buffalo and the pretty much whole half that he got last night. Yeah, to me, it's just the resiliency. You saw that in both games. You know, the first drive of the first game in Buffalo, he throws the pick. Everybody on the sideline during that game takes accountability, and they learn from it, and they grow. And then the next drive, you know, he leads that should have been a scoring drive, should have been a touchdown drive. We had a drop. He had some penalties. You had a missed field goal. Um, and then last night, obviously, you know, you had, you know, it was like a disaster. You had three plays, and, you went three and out. You had two uh, penalties on Quentin Nelson, like three plays minus 14 yards. Just his way to be able to compartmentalize with those things and come back and bounce back and show that resiliency because the next drive was darn near flawless. And I, I think the biggest thing that, I, that excites me just as a play-by-play guy, this is going to sound corny, uh, but it's true. I mean, when, when you have Anthony Richardson and trying to describe everything that he could do in the backfield, you almost have to be – like a full beat, like a full second behind the play in real time because the play is never dead. He just does exciting things in the backfield. I mean, he can turn all of these positives into negatives, and he can escape tacklers. And we really haven't seen a lot of that, obviously, in training camp because he's wearing the red jersey and they're blowing the play dead just out of safety you know, reasons, and you understand that. But last night, obviously, in a game, it's full tackle, it's full go. You know, people are just – you know, they're bouncing off of him in the backfield, and he's turning what should be five-yard losses into 15-yard gains for first downs. Just it's so incredibly exciting. So I thought last night was better than his stat line would lead on. And you had nine nine possessions in the in the uh, preseason for him. He should have led, uh, you know, scoring drives on four of those possessions. He did have some three and outs. So in that regard, it's it's kind of like we what we all thought it was going to be for him in the preseason. Some ups, some downs. But more so than anything, you just see how electric he can be and why the Colts drafted him where they did because of what he can turn into with the right polish. Matt, it's interesting. You kind of stole my thunder there because I was thinking to myself, of all people, and I'm curious from your standpoint, so much of Anthony Richardson that we talked about today is kind of the poise of his understanding. I think at the quarterback position, Matt, in the NFL, there is that internal clock. And a big part of a quarterback's acclimation period and comfort level in in playing is kind of knowing when to listen to that clock or feel it and when to know that it's Mm -hmm. a false alarm and you still have time in the pocket. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, from your standpoint as a broadcaster, do you find yourself starting to feel that clock before even Anthony Richardson does? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm about to call a sack here. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy cow you can see the C's open up for him. That's the kind of guy he feels like when you're watching it, like he's almost more poised than we are. Does that make sense? No, total, total sense. And I knew that about 
having to call Anthony Richardson's games going into the season, but I've already fell victim to that. And I've, I've learned the hard way with this guy back there, with how, how big he is and as strong as he is and just so athletic, you just you cannot take anything for granted. You can't assume anything when he's got the football in his hands because, like we've talked about, he can turn. I mean, he's got three guys draped all over him, and he just shakes them off, and then he just squirts out to the left for a 15-yard gain. And I look at Rick, and I said, I don't think the Colts have ever had – I said this on the air. The Colts have never had a player at quarterback that can do what Anthony Richardson just did. And we both looked at each other like, this is going to be fun this year. So you're right. No, from a play-by-play standpoint, you have to kind of wait. You kind of have to just be a beat behind to make sure you get the call right because it can look like he's going down. It can look like he's going to be sacked. And all of a sudden, just that, that brute strength shows up and the play's still going. And that's what's just – it's just so fun. Like last night, I, you know, I told the crew around me, like I had fun last night because Anthony Richardson played 33 snaps – and not that you don't have fun every other time you're on the air doing a preseason game, but just he's electric. He's just exciting. Like he can just do things that 99% of other players in the NFL can't do. And so from that standpoint, it's just exciting to kind of be on your edge of, edge of your seat as a play-by-play guy trying to relay that information and accurately describe what you can see because he's capable of a home run and a big play every single time he takes a, a snap in the shotgun. If I was going to be a pessimist, which, Matt, I'm not typically a pessimist, right? But if I was going to be, I would be curious the number of times that we see Richardson running, whether that is by design from Shane Steichen or whether that's because as a young player he is not going through all his progressions and he is aborting mission early. Do you think that, that that is the case in any of these? Or is it legitimately and authentically either designed or the only option at the point that he's tucking and running? I guess it doesn't matter if it's a positive gain, but you get the question. Yeah, I think, I think you know, this goes back to what we said all off season. You know, anytime we've talked to Shane or Jim Bob Cooter or, you know, just talked to, you know, national guests, you know, people that have played the position. You know, I remember a conversation – you know, back in May after the draft with uh, with with Orlovsky, um, you know, just the, the fact that, you know, the, the Colts obviously, they want him to grow. They they need him to play. They want him to play. That's how he's going to develop that the fastest. There's no doubt about that. But the question is, is he ready, right? When you, when you come from Florida and you play 13 games in the SEC and you, you obviously have the thin resume coming out of college, of course not. He's not going to be – 100% ready. I don't think anybody as a rookie quarterback in the NFL, even you know guys like Peyton Manning that had so much time on task at Tennessee, I don't think anybody's fully ready. Of course not, he's not ready. So what he's going to have to do, and I think what the Colts are conscious of, is they're going to keep it simple for him, right? They're not going to put too much on his plate. And when he matriculates up from the college game to the NFL, you know he already has kind of 50% of the concepts and the plays I don't want to say mastered, but he has a really good grasp on because they're going to marry the Saturday game, the RPO stuff, the read zone, the read option. They're going to marry that with the Sunday game, and that's where Shane Steichen and Jim Bob Cooter come into play to kind of refine his footwork and his progressions and his drops and his reads and stuff like that. So I think half of what he's being asked to do, he's really good at already. Um, but that being said, I don't think, again, the Colts are going to put too much on his plate with, 
I think it's going to be just concepts, right? It's going to be, all right, here's what we're going to look for on first and second down in the middle of the field. Here's our third and long package. Here's our third and short package. Here's our red zone stuff. And they're not going to try to overwhelm him because they want him to think fast and play fast. Because at the end of the day, like, he's just the best athlete on the field. Go out there and play football. Make plays. And I think that's what they're being conscious of with trying not to overload Anthony Richardson with too much right away. But I think, again, long-winded answer is I think he's going to have to rely on his athleticism and his running ability early on. That's what he's going to have to have success with to succeed to keep Colts in to, to keep the Colts in games and ultimately win some of these games early on. Anthony Richardson is just going to have to go out there and play football. And if that means bailing on the pocket early because he's not a thousand percent, you know, fully prepared you know, with that mental clock in his head that comes with just playing football, that's fine. Just go out and make plays because that's why the Colts drafted him and they're playing him early on in his career so that he can reach his ceiling as quickly as possible. Matt, we appreciate the time as always, especially on a short turnaround like that where I know you got to be tired. So we'll let you wrap up the day of putting this one to bed and then getting back in exactly that. But certainly appreciate the time today. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Uh, enjoy the weekend, all right? Yeah, I know. I appreciate you guys. All good, man. The sun is out. It's hot. Let's go. It is that. No question about it. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, joining us now, by the way, again, we are at here the Hoosier Hardwood Festival up in the Boone County 4-H Fairgrounds. That's right off exit 138 and I-65. You cannot miss it. Going to be here until 5 o'clock today. This festival takes place. And then tomorrow from 9 until 6, on Sunday from 9 until 4, a wide array. If it involves woodworking, it is taking place right here, and that includes water skiing squirrel that we talked to earlier, and now um, and I hope Jason's not offended by this, but Jason Alger of Hudsonville, Michigan with Artistic Timber. Uh, Jason, it's not that I don't respect what you do, but but I will be honest with you. I, I was so excited to talk to Twiggy, the, the water skiing squirrel. No offense, right? I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Hey, so you are um, – let's get into the, the meat of the matter here. You are a woodworking expert. Is that a safe way to say it? You're, you're a, an artistic carver. Tell me exactly what it is that brings you here to the festival. I try to be. I, uh, we travel the country doing festivals, fairs, and special events. Um, we basically uh, put on a good show. We fire up some chainsaws and make all different sorts of art. So how, did you, how does one get into this? And I think a lot of people don't realize this. First, let's go to this. Hudsonville, Michigan is how far north in Michigan? It's uh, probably close to two hours from the border. Okay, so two hours from the northern border or from, from the, the southern border, heading north. Okay, so yeah. not, not Grand Rapids too far, area. Right? Okay, so um, like I know that two-time Indy 500 winner Gordon Johncock has like a huge timber lumber company in Michigan. I think a lot of people don't realize how much timber there is in the state of Michigan. So how does one suddenly become exactly what you are in terms of being a timber artist, so to speak? I was actually. Uh asked if I could carve for a fundraiser for a Christian school back home. And I grabbed some saws and started whittling away, got a couple of photos taken in a local newspaper. And, and this was how long ago? Um, this is probably 12 years ago. Okay. Um, I stopped and uh, carving for a little while, went back to my, my normal job, and I couldn't stop. I had to go back full time. So now we travel the country, 23 states, 13 competitions this year. That's pretty awesome. So your car, like you're using, take me through like what tools and equipment you're using and how big 
a piece of wood you're working with. And my apologies for sounding like the most naive wood <laughs> expert of all time. Well, right now at this at this event, we have um, anywhere from eight to nine foot logs, anywhere from 24 inch diameter to 36. Um, and we start off with blocking them out, which we grab our largest saws, take out the biggest pieces, and then just slowly start progressing down to fine hand tools and dremels and um, sanding discs and whatnot. And it takes how long? It depends on, I guess, probably the, what you're doing, right? Yeah, and the carver itself. Um, you know, there's a couple of us that are speed carvers. We carve as fast as we can. Um, and then there's some that are a little slower. And, you know, it's, there's so many different varieties of carvers in this sport. What's the most complicated thing you've ever carved or designed? 14-foot mermaid was my wow. my largest, really? most complicated. And how long did that take? Um, that was close to three weeks. Okay. I've always wondered this. When, you, when you're doing something like that and you're putting so much time, effort, resource into it, and obviously the name of the game is for a lot of this to then be sold, is it ever tough to watch it be, be sold and taken away? Because you're like, man, I really, you know, I put so much time into that. There is. Um, we just returned from South Dakota, um, Sturgis, South Dakota. We did the bike rally up there, and one of my favorite pieces. A couple mermaids up there for that, too, huh? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. We did a, a soaring eagle with uh, stars and stripes wrapped around it, and it was just, it was a fun piece to do. And, um, yeah, so the answer is yes. There's some pieces that you don't, it's bittersweet. So you grew up in the state of Michigan, right? No, I grew up all over the all over the country. Okay. Um, joined Marines at 17 and traveled the world and ended up going back to Michigan, of course, for a girl. And she's with me today for it's 20 years now. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, thank cool. you. Yeah. So we're, uh, we, we travel the country together. And so she, you're living in Michigan, though. Um, obviously, beautiful state, right? ton of yes. cool stuff there but you travel around how many of these shows do you do say in the summertime um this year we have 13 events uh 23 states and um yeah we're, we're trying to stick to close to a dozen so you're doing the show here artistic timbers again um jason alger did i say that right alger yes close jason enough alger. okay from uh again from hudsonville michigan with artistic timber you are one of those who is going to be doing uh, a show here how many shows do you do over the course of the weekend and people that are coming out they're going to be seeing what uh, we're actually working on a main piece right now. Um, we're getting ready to start this one up. Uh, some of the carvers already started. Um, we're going to be working on one masterpiece. Um, and I have a very large stump right now or tree out there now that um, it'll be close to 17 hours I'm going to put into it. Really? Yep. Okay. Oh. And it's what kind of, pardon my, 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 my ignorance here, what kind of wood is it? What kind of tree? White pine. Yep. Okay. We're, we're using white pine out there right now. And, and is there one kind of wood that is more desirable to work on than another for people that want to get into it or, or you know, the one that's more valuable than another? Starting out, um, for the ease of the carver itself, I believe white pine, cottonwood is an easier, softer okay. wood. Um, down south in Georgia, Tennessee, I run a lot of cypress. Um, we get good diameter logs, tall logs out of that cypress also. I would think there are some kind of woods that kind of like you hear about with people that sculpt marble. If the marble's too porous, you know, it breaks too easily and it's hard to do it. Are there some kinds of woods that splint too easily and as a result of that are difficult to, to carve through? For the, for the larger pieces, um, maple and um, some of the oaks, those are a little trickier to carve itself, and they split. They dry out a little too fast, um, but there's some techniques how you can preserve them and slow that process down. But white pine seems to be the, my, my favorite readily available lumber. Okay, last question then, even if you don't have a rooting interest since you're not native to it, uh, Michigan or Michigan State, which one do you go with? 
the wife is a state fan, so to be smart, so I'm going to say There you go. Space. There you go. <laughs> there that's you go. right. 20 years, I'm that's, just saying. That's right. There's a reason it lasted 20 years, <laughs> yes, right, sir. Jason? Hey, man, appreciate uh, the time today and certainly enjoy the time here in Indiana. And we look forward to watching 17 hours worth of work and see how it all turns out coming up on Sunday. Appreciate Wonderful. It. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Again, uh, that's Jason Eldridge from Hudsonville, Michigan with Artistic Timber. Just one of those who are, you can see their work and what they're doing here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. We'll continue the conversation talking about the Colts as well. James Boyd going to join us coming up. And Big Ten coaches and their favorite musical act. We're going to see who Jimmy Cook aligns with. We'll do that coming up in the next hour as well. It is Quarry and Company here, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Have a lot of fun. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So far here, first couple hours at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Again, Boone County Fairgrounds. It's right off exit 138 on I-65. Everything getting underway here today, going until 5 o'clock, then tomorrow from 9 until 6, 9 until 4 on Sunday. As a matter of fact, James and a couple of his, uh, or Jason, I should say, and a couple of the timber artists are actually having at 3 o'clock a one-hour quick carve contest. They get a block of wood, they get one hour to make the coolest thing they can, and then uh, winner takes home a prize and everybody gets a bunch of cool woodwork. Maybe that includes a Notre Dame logo or a Clemson paw, as we <laughs> talked about earlier. James Boyd going to join us, talk about last night's Colts-Phillies game, uh, Colts-Philly game and more with the Blue Horseshoe. James, of course, with The Athletic, joins us next to talk about that and more as you're listening to Quarry and Company here. Friday edition, happy weekend upon us on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Queer and Company live at Hoosier Hardwood Festival, Boone County Fairgrounds in Lebanon, Indiana, August 25th through the 27th. Make sure to come out here and be a part of it all weekend long. Already an opportunity to meet Twiggy. The water skiing squirrel been rolling around as well with different wood carving exhibits, all the fun here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. We'll continue our conversations from the event as the day continues, but for now we'll resume our Colts conversation and bring things back to last night's preseason finale for the Colts, 27-13 winners over the Philadelphia Eagles. Though he was not out there, he is one of our favorites and one of the most insightful on the beat. It's James Boyd of The Athletic. James, how are we doing on a Friday? I'm doing good, living the dream. Fridays are always fantastic, my book. James, I want to go with your perspective and your setup for just a second. You're used to on the beat, as you will be for the entire season, going to these games and being there. How, how does your perspective on things and your routine for a game day change when you're sitting remotely at home watching like we are during the preseason versus being out there in the thick of things? 
Well, the attire definitely changes. You know, I might be shirtless. I might have a tank top on. I might have shorts on. Whatever. You know, when you're going to a real game, you actually have to put on clothes and make sure you look presentable. So that's the biggest thing. But other than that, I think the benefit of being at home is just that I can rewind whenever I want to to catch a play again. James, in those terms, let, let's begin with this. Take me through a play or two last night, or player is a better way of saying it. Give me somebody that did a play, good or bad, where you, in fact, did have to rewind it to watch a second time to get a better understanding of what you just witnessed. I think the Anthony Richardson dot to Kylan Granson, 17-yarder, that was when I ran back just to kind of see how the play unfolded. Saw the check come in as well. There was another where I wanted to rewatch Alec Pierce on a couple 50-50 balls. I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit concerned about that connection because it hasn't really developed. So I'm trying to see, okay, is he winning these matchups? Is he losing these matchups? Was it a good ball? Was it a bad ball? And that, to me, has been probably the biggest reason why I like running it back. And I actually do it sometimes at games, too. I always have YouTube TV pulled up on my laptop just because I want to watch it play again right away. So yesterday, or last night, I guess I should say, while watching the game, also, you know, there were those moments I'm watching, and I thought Richardson was impressive. And I think if you just looked at the stat line, you would probably not grasp just the overall feel and the poise he showed. But I had to remind myself, James, there have been players that look like guys that came in, and I thought, wow, like this, this guy is going to be a problem for a long time. Vince Young comes to mind. Ryan Leaf during the preseason looked fabulous. You know, Baker Mayfield looked really good early on in his career. Talk me through or talk me off the ledge of, of why Anthony Richardson is not going to be one of those guys. I think the biggest thing is that he is an anomaly overall. You know what I mean? The athleticism that he displayed I think gives him a higher floor than most give him credit for because half of the game for him is going to be using his legs which has come so naturally for him so I think that's probably the biggest reason when you see him evade some of those pressures when you see him turn something into nothing for a first down game those are the plays where I personally think okay if he can get a little more accuracy a little more consistency then he could be really good at quarterback because to me even right now if he just cleans up a little bit He's a serviceable quarterback, you know, someone that can help you kind of tread water and, and win a few games. But now the challenge is obviously in the face of the franchise, can you become a guy? And to me, I look at Jalen Hurts' 2021 season with Shane Steichen, where he was a first-time, full-time starter, and they kind of tread water, made the playoffs, didn't have a great record, but he was serviceable, pretty good game manager. Then he made that leap to, you know, obviously superstarting. James, we've discussed at times during the preseason how frustrating drive-killing penalties can be and how much pressure not only to succeed in pass pro and to open up opportunities for the running game to succeed, but how much pressure is going to be on this offensive line to not make unforced errors like being an ineligible man downfield or like the the two back-to-back penalties that Quentin Nelson had, one being a false start and the other one being a hold last night. Again, I know that's just one example, and they, they played pretty well for the most stretches of that first half. When you look at that, how big a concern are penalties stacking up like that, at least in the early going, with the way that they're going to need to protect Anthony Richardson and the frequency of the RPOs you highlighted last night on Twitter? 
Yeah, I think that the first drive last night definitely made everyone sort of throw their hands in the air because I was thinking to myself, and this is what it's going to be? Lord have mercy. I'm going to watch some bad football. But they did show signs of progress, I thought, on the second and third drive, and even beyond that, to close out the first half with the ones. Again, that was against Phillies, too. So, you know, is it apples to apples? Maybe not. But I do think they got a lot more comfortable as the game went on. And to me, that's the importance of reps. I know we preach it for Anthony Richardson himself, but it's going to help with his teammates as well because they have to get used to playing with a quarterback who can do a bunch of different things that were just not possible last year. For example, when he scrambled for 16 yards yesterday, that was a sack, you know, most of the time last season. He had another one where he flipped out and and ran for about six yards where he could have been sacked again. And I'm like, that's a sack and possibly a fumble in 2022, whereas this year players have to – wide receivers have to keep running – and then players have to become blockers a lot more often because he can extend play. James, if you're Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard, either one. And by the way, I like Chris Ballard kind of retro, the, the retro Colts hat he had on last night. I thought it was a good look. Um, if you're either of those two guys, you began training camp and you wrote down your concerns of this roster in pencil, whether it be players, whether it be schemes, whether it be a, a particular unit, you wrote down all your concerns in pencil. Give me one of those concerns that they now have erased because they feel better about it. Oh, man, that's a good question. Because mm, I think some of these concerns are still here. Um, is is this the development of Anthony Richardson? Maybe that's a cop-out answer. Because to me, the offensive line is still a concern. I thought that Danny Pitcher going down obviously isn't a good sign. They don't have much depth there. That's still a concern for me. The cornerbacks... You know, they showed some progress throughout the preseason, but that's still a concern for me because preseason and second stringers and training camp, doesn't matter. What do you do on Sundays? Um, that's concerning for me as well. And maybe I'll say this, tight ends. Um, I don't know if it was a concern, but you want to see some progress from them. And I think Drew Ogletree showed something last night. Kylan Granton had a really good preseason. And to me, I did my uh, 53-man roster projection that everyone always agrees with. Um, because I'm a genius, but no, um, in all seriousness, that's probably a, one position group where I'm like, I go either way on Will Mallory or, or, or Mo Ali Cox. Like, did Mo Ali Cox do enough to stick around, or do you just go full youth movement with uh, Will Mallory? James Boyd with us, covers the Colts for The Athletic. Of course, you can subscribe to his work on theathletic.com or by downloading the Athletic app. James, Jake brought up an interesting point from last night's game that I hadn't thought about prior to our conversations to open the show, which is that with the stability that was present at times from the running game just last night against the Eagles and the growth that they've shown over the course of training camp into the preseason, that it was not a great night in particular for Jonathan Taylor because it looked the part, even if you super sim out another half of football, like a team that is at least going to stabilize what the Colts need out of the running back room. Did you see it that way again? Not to take away from Jonathan Taylor, we know things would be different and, and it's a whole other gear you're unlocking if he was out there but did you see it that way in terms of more poise and confidence from the running back room last night yes now granted that was against the twos it wasn't their ones and philly has obviously one of the best defenses in the nfl i will say that my opinion on this has sort of shifted because i've read more about it and i've tried to become more knowledgeable on the subject but having a dual threat quarterback really changes the dynamic of your running game. And I think that Jonathan Taylor 
you know, benefits Matt Ryan a lot more than he does in Anthony Richardson. I say that because with Richardson, you can scheme up a lot of yards and a lot of looks because you have to give so much attention to him. So a lot of those holds we saw last night, you know, whether it was for Evan Hall or Deion Jackson, it was because they have to account for the possibility of the quarterback keeping it and running it himself. So I think that um, you look at Jalen Hurts again in Philadelphia, when he started to turn a corner in 2021, he was actually the team's leading rusher that year, even though they had Miles Sanders. And so I think last year on paper, it's like, oh, yeah, Miles Sanders had 1,000 yards, and they looked so much better. It looked better because they traded for A.J. Brown. That was the biggest difference um, in, in the jump that he made and obviously his own development. So I think that it was not a great night for J.T., but, I mean, there hasn't been very many, you know, throughout this preseason because he still wants out. And, yes, the Colts will be better with him, but it's not the end-all, be-all if – they move on from him for a decent trade package. James, I have, and I've mentioned this before several times on the radio, for like 20 years I've had this recurring dream. And the recurring dream is that I get an NBA tryout and I go out there and I know that I have like no business (laughs) being out there, right? But for whatever reason, I'm just in the zone for like that week and and my shot's falling. And they're whittling down the roster and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make this NBA roster. I know I don't belong here, but for whatever reason, they, they like I'm going to make this roster because I played really well when I needed to play well. What member of the Colts right now is having that dream? I think the member who uh, definitely came on through our preseason was Daryl Baker Jr., who was only active for one game last year um, for the Colts. I think that he's definitely one that I will keep in mind. And I think also, you look at Hambright on the offensive line, he's another one who, you know, you'd ask about offensive line depth, and I thought that he stepped up when called upon. Like, was he great? No, but he was serviceable. And I thought that when he had to come in, you know, uh, for some left tackle relief against the Bills in the preseason opener, he looked pretty good, looked pretty solid at right guard as a backup, you know, um, during the Bears joint practices. So he's another one. I think that um, he's a guy who – I would have never, you know, thought that he would make the active roster, let's say, two or three weeks ago. But I think that throughout the preseason, he's shown, okay, I can actually play at this level. Mike Strawn, Jonathan Taylor, more likely to be on the roster week one. Jonathan Taylor, because as much as we talk about trades and him wanting out and teams being interested, interest does not mean they have, you know, going to pull the trigger on a, on a running back who – we don't even know if he's healthy, which is why I think this Tuesday deadline that has been reported is very interesting because if for JT's sake, he needs to be moved before Tuesday because when Tuesday comes, 4 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to know how hurt he really is because if he's hurt and he's out, you know, stays on that pup list and he misses the first four games of the year automatically, then we'll all know that it really wasn't a hold-out, hold-in tactic, but that the guy – hasn't been cleared from an injury that at the time seemed very, you know, uh, routine in a sense. So um, we'll find out a lot more, I believe, next Tuesday. James, for me, and don't get me wrong, if somebody comes along and makes the Colts an offer they can't refuse, I could see them dealing Jonathan Taylor. But to me, and I want your opinion on this, whether you agree or disagree, the allowing Jonathan Taylor to test the market for a trade was less about the Colts trying to get something for him and more about the Colts trying to cement for him and his representation what his true value is on the market versus what he is asking the Colts to give him. You agree or disagree? 
I agree. I think that this is similar to the Lamar Jackson tactic where it's like, okay, we'll allow you to speak to other teams. And then when that market doesn't materialize, you'll realize your best option and really your only option was always to play for us. Now that could change if another team comes in and offers them something crazy, but who would at this point? There's so many mitigating factors that would not help his case, which is you're coming off an injury, you're a running back, you know, you want a big contract. So all of those things do not, you know, work in his favor, which is why I think that the most likely team that he'll play for in 2023 is the Colts. And so, you know, it is what it is at this point. It's become definitely a talking point. And it will be one, even if he stays on the team, they don't extend him because every week we're going to ask, you know, are you healthy? Are you playing? And if he starts playing well, do you think you deserve a contract? So I think it's something that's going to loom over the team for sure. But it's just can the Colts manage it and kind of keep the damage control down and, and work with this person? And then for JT, I'm not sure if it's all about the money anymore or if it's just about I don't want to play for Jim Irsay and the Colts anymore. And the, the money, you know, be damned. I just don't want to be here anymore. We'll find out very soon. But as always, the Colts have had the upper hand. He covers the Colts for The Athletic. James Boyd, nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeovilleKid. And, of course, you can subscribe to The Athletic to get his most recent story, a GM's perspective on Jonathan Taylor, the Colts, and what seeking a trade can do. James, you had an opportunity to sit down with Randy Mueller, former general manager of the Dolphins and the Saints, and currently in the XFL with the Seattle Sea Dragons. Through that conversation about all the different angles of the Jonathan Taylor saga, what enlightened you the most from that conversation? I think what enlightened me the most was him mentioning Dalvin Cook. And he's like, you know, you got to remember, Dalvin Cook was a, you know, four-time consecutive thousand-yard rusher, four-time consecutive, you know, pro bowler, and he could hardly feel the market this year. Now, granted, he had shoulder surgery back in February, but it's not like this guy is some scrub. And he also gives you more in the passing game than Jonathan Taylor does. And he's like, that's a guy who still didn't have a great market. So, you know, if you're Jonathan Taylor and you're seeking a huge deal, look across the, you know, the pond, across the water, and look at, look at the guy next to you and see that, you know, maybe that market you want isn't going to be here right now, or if not ever. So, you know, I think a lot of people are like, just pay the guy, but – you know, Dalvin Cook had no baggage, you know, uh, no extra, you know, claims to money or draft picks, and he still was given a one-year $7 million deal. So that, to me, was probably the most sobering thought about all of this is that, yeah, you can, you know, be really good, outperform your contract, whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, if you're a running back, you're not going to get some big payday. It's just not going to happen anymore. And I think that, you know, the D- Derrick Henry contract, the Christian McCaffrey contract, even the Nick Chubb deal, those are things of the past at this point. You know, let's go back to Jonathan Taylor real quick, James. And this is not an original thought of mine, actually. I think Kevin has mentioned this. Um, I know Todd Meyer mentioned this to me. But I think it's a good point. I want your thought on it. Miami is the team that so far has been most linked to inquiring about Jonathan Taylor. I have no idea how serious that inquiry was. But if you are Miami, would you not have hesitation about Jonathan Taylor based on the fact that they have a quarterback in Tua that they have yet to really be able to keep healthy? And I think if there is a shortcoming of Jonathan Taylor aside from receiving, and he's a home run running back, don't get me wrong, but he's not a great blocking back, and he's not a great blitz pickup back. And if I'm Miami, I am really hesitant based on that. Is that too critical? It's not too critical. Actually, I hadn't thought about that myself, but that is a very good point. 
I do think that JT had some blown assignments last that didn't help his case for getting paid now as far as a blocker. So that's definitely something you have to keep in mind because, as we know, your team sort of goes to your quarterback goes, and the Dolphins have had, um, you know, seasons kind of derailed because of, you know, Tua's health, especially last season. So I think that that's a valid point that you've made. But at the same time, it's, you know, risk versus reward. And, again, this is why I think that it is still very unlikely because if you're, you know, the Dolphins, why would you, you know, give up draft compensation and give up, you know, a, a big money in a contract extension when you could have pursued Dalvin Cook, maybe pay him more than what the Jets paid him, but get Dalvin Cook, who's only 28, who is a good pass catcher, who is a pretty decent run blocker, and, you know, roll the dice that way without having to um, give up so much to get him. So, um, again, I think that when Tuesday comes and when the season opener comes, JT he will be in a Colts uniform. Whether he's smiling or not, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on that, but I would bet on him being in the Colts uniform. Have we heard anything yet today, James, on what exactly the injury or the prognosis is for Danny Penter officially? No, we do not know. We will not talk to Shane Steichen until tomorrow. His uh, post-game interview actually got moved till tomorrow, so we'll find out more then on him. And I believe Julius Brent as well. I'm not sure why he wasn't available. I'm not sure why Darius Rush wasn't available. So just trying to – well, I know Darius Rush was like a hip. But again, just want to clear up some of those things tomorrow. But Darius Rush is one that's had a pretty good that had a pretty good preseason, right? And I think probably, uh, you know, they had high expectation for him coming in. But James, is it fair to say that he might have even exceeded some of the expectation? I think that yeah, I think for sure. But also, he slipped in the draft. Um, still never really got a clear reason why, because he was projected to be like a third or fourth round guy, fell to the fifth round. So to me, it was never a, a case of can he be good enough to play in the NFL. Obviously, having a pick six helps, um, showed some flashes throughout the joint practices. So I think he did enough. The guy that I've been impressed with the most in that room, as far as just kind of underdog stories, is Dylan Jones, seventh-round pick, former five-star recruit, um, very humble guy, and someone who showed um, that he's willing to do whatever to make this team. I think that, you know, I have him on my 53-man roster projection over Tony Brown because of what he showed throughout uh, preseason and just that that – that tenacity that he has to kind of be a survivor and make this team. James, in your 53-man roster cut down, how many tight ends do you have? How many running backs do you have? Oh, let me look right here. I got it pulled up, actually. Um, you put me on the spot. It's funny because, Ask like, because those are the position up. groups we've talked about the most in terms yes. of having a running plethora of guys and bodies four. in there. Yes, running backs, I have four. Evan Hull, Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, and ding, 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 Jonathan Taylor. And then as far as tight ends, I have four. I debated keeping five and, and cutting a spot somewhere else. But the four that I have, Mo Ali Cox, Kylan Granton, Drew Ogletree, Jelani Woods. Obviously, the, the big cut there will be Will Mallory. And honestly, I could be talked into going either way. It's just to me that with Mo Ali Cox, he gives you at least a different flavor than the other you know, uh, tight ends, whereas Will Mallory sort of the, the pass-catching guy you already have that with Jelani Woods and Colin Granton and Jerome Street so something last night so um, again if you tell me hey you're crazy Will Mallory should be on that team and Molly Cox should be on the chopping block I wouldn't necessarily disagree it's just that it's hard for me to see them moving on from him um, you know as a veteran and, and sort of giving him a different blocking type of tight end. James, to me, the tight end room is fascinating because I think it has probably the most depth, but it has the least disparity between – I mean, I know there's different styles per se, but in terms of guys that, that have tried to, like, jump out and really seize the spot, 
to me, the tight end has the most interchangeability in terms of amount of footprint that guys have had, like one through five of any room yeah. in in the complex. That makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree on that for sure. There's not been anyone who's jumped out to the point where you're like, that is the number one tight end for sure. Because to me, I've expected that guy to be Jelani Woods a few months ago, but he just hasn't played. He hasn't been available. And obviously his upside is going to keep him on the roster now. But, I mean, I'm starting to wonder, man, like with this hamstring, how serious is it? And at this point, can you just be healthy, you know, by the season opener? Like what are you doing to make sure you're healthy fully healthy so you don't re-aggravate whatever hamstring issues you've had this offseason. Okay, last question for you here, James, before we let you go, and I appreciate the time, James, Board of the Athletic. I have before me the list of every favorite musical artist of Big Ten football coaches. Now, I'm not going to tell you the coaches. I'm going to read off the artist. You tell me which one you would most identify with, and I'll tell you what school you are relating to their coach. Are you ready? All right, this is fun. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Justin Moore, Pat Green, Mercy Me, Citizen Cope, Alanis Morissette, Prince, Chris Stapleton, Dave Matthews Band, Need to Breathe, Morgan Wallen, Bruce Springsteen, Jay-Z, Prince again, or Zach Bryan? Jay-Z, because 90% of people I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> okay. Uh, congratulations. You are now on board as a running mate and fan of Penn State's James Franklin. <laughs> go Nittany Lions. We'll do that with uh, Jimmy here in a little bit as well uh, and go over some of these coaches. James, appreciate the time as always. And I know obviously kind of a crazy time with preseason ending up in terms of the games and moving forward. So look forward to also talking to you. We'll have some fun coming up here in studio as well. Yes, sir, man. Congrats on the new, obviously, gig going on. I'm excited to have, to have me on, and, and I'm excited for the opportunity to join you guys whenever I can. Appreciate it. Uh, James Boyd, again, from The Athletic. We are at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Again, this is taking place until 5 o'clock today. Tomorrow, 9 until 6. Sunday, 9 until 4. Tickets are just $10. $20 for the entire weekend and all kinds of fabulous stuff going on. Everything from a water skiing squirrel to lumberjacks to competitions of carving and woodworking and chainsaws, you name it. And then, of course, uh, if you want to buy something for the house made of wood, they absolutely have it. Right now, Jimmy, as a matter of fact, going through the entire pamphlet. Uh, Jimmy, I want you, you heard me name off the artists. I'll read them to you one more time, and then when we come back from the break, we're going to find out what Big Ten coach you most align with. Justin Moore, Pat Green, Mercy Me, Citizen Cope, Alanis Morissette, Prince, Chris Stapleton, Dave Matthews Band, Need to Breathe, Morgan Wallen, Bruce Springsteen, Jay-Z, and Zach Bryan. Pick one of those. We'll do it. Eddie Garrison will get yours as well on the other side, and we'll come back here from the 4-H Fairgrounds, the Boone County Fairgrounds. As a matter of fact, exit 138 and I-65. You're listening to Aquarian Company, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Man, it is gorgeous out. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you here obviously it's a little warm but we are just inside one of the uh, exhibitor will we say barn is that the right word i think so i mean that would be the verbiage i would use i guess barn is correct right uh we're having a lot of fun here actually at the hoosier hardwood festival this be a very cool event to come out to over the next couple of days just ten dollars you can buy a weekend pass for 20 and we're going to talk to the man that puts this all together in kind of this is the third year for it, second year here in Boone County. First year was at the Marion County Fairgrounds, now the Boone County Fairgrounds. 
which is literally right off of I-65, exit 138. So just when you get past the sprawling, continuing to develop Whitestown area, boom, you are right here. Uh, by the way, DJ Skids, who does fabulous work with JMV, in particular on the takeovers on Saturday night, apparently was doing a party recently and left behind his debit card. And I know uh, Chris well, and so I'm going to return this to him, but I've got his debit card here. Should I? Should we just go on a frenzy here? I mean, is, do, you I think, go, do you think he you is want, not the type that would go ahead and cancel that right away already? Do you think that's still want, active and hot? Do you want that Notre Dame woodworking <laughs> piece? I'd be happy to go over there and get it for you. You know what I mean? It's um, kind of you. Okay, so here's the deal. I think it was Brett McMurphy, um, Big Ten Media Day, I think it was, all of the Big Ten coaches in football named their favorite musical artist. And so I have all of the answers from the Big Ten coaches sitting here before me. So I will read them off again one more time. Those of you at home can play along with this fabulous and fun game. And we will begin with you, Jimmy Cook. Your choices are, again, each coach said their favorite musical artist, and these are those that were represented. Justin Moore, Pat Green, Mercy Me, Citizen Cope, Alanis Morissette, Prince Chris Stapleton, Dave Matthews Band, Need to Breathe, Morgan Wallen, Bruce Springsteen, Jay-Z, who you just heard, uh, and Zach Bryan. Jimmy Cook, you have given Eddie Garrison your answer. I have. And your answer is the following. Fired up, Eddie. So, there are two coaches in the Big Ten that have said Prince is their favorite. One of them, by the way, with a complete swing and a miss. P.J. Fleck has no idea of his fan base and his surroundings. Because if you've ever been to Minnesota, have you been to Minnesota, Jimmy? I uh, have, yes. If you go to Minneapolis, that entire city is dedicated to Prince. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything has to do with Prince. He um, missed the uh, missed the easy layup, huh? Shannon went to um, was in Minnesota and went to Prince's home. Paisley Park is what it's called. His studio, everything. I told Stephen Holder. Stephen Holder was going there for the Colts-Vikings game. I'm like, dude, apparently Shannon said you got to go to Paisley Park. And then when Stephen went to a Pacer game with us one night, he said to Shannon, he's like, oh my gosh, you're the one that recommended Paisley Park. And the two of them talked about it for like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, Prince is the favorite musical act of Purdue's Ryan Walters. Well... As well as Michigan State's Mel Tucker. Michigan State and Purdue, the two schools you got. Eddie Garrison, you heard the rundown. You go ahead and play for us which artist you have selected as your favorite amongst those listed. I have no idea what the hell this is. What is Morgan, this? It's Morgan Wallen. I only went with Morgan Wallen because I can't get this song stuck out of my head. I hear it on the radio all the time, and it just gets stuck in my head all the time. I feel okay. like you failed the exercise, though. Supposed to be which one most identifies with you. Uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> well, I don't feel thing, a connection Eddie. with any of these guys really, other than Springsteen. <laughs> and I didn't want to take Jake's favorite and most uh, his favorite artist. Well, Might have I, been Jay Z. Springsteen's not worth, a, of those. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, you by picking Morgan Wallen. You have selected Ryan Day and the Ohio State oh, Buckeyes. Ryan Day and the Ohio State Buckeyes. All right. So, in fact, you stole my thunder a little bit there, Eddie. But mine of those listed, mine would be this one. So, I mean, I said this a lot, like last week when I went up or two weeks ago with Bob Kravitz and my buddy Michael Weir to go see Springsteen at Wrigley. My level of fandom for Springsteen on a 1 to 10 is probably like a 6. But I've always heard that he puts on a great show. I've always heard that he's a great guy. So I wanted to see him, and I went to go see his show at Wrigley two weeks ago. 
and it was, in fact, it lived up to the billing. If It was the most amazing performance. I mean, three hours of nonstop. He sounded great. It was at Wrigley, which is cool enough, right? Yeah. But it was, I, I mean, literally, as I was watching it, I was like, I, I get it now, man. I Did totally it elevate it. the six? Did the six move? Yeah, it probably did because um, he's kind of one of those artists that you don't realize how many of his songs you know. and then, I mean, you do, but but uh, it was fabulous. I mean, it was impossible as I was watching it. I'm like, I totally get it. Now, Prince would be up there as well. Uh, but, and Alanis Morissette I like. Jim Harbaugh selected Alanis Morissette. Um, That's right. Bruce Springsteen. And this is, again, unlike P.J. Fleck with Minnesota, Clearly, clearly, and I give him a lot of credit here, Greg Schiano of Rutgers gets his audience. Yes. You're in New Jersey. You have to say Bruce Springsteen. The that softball. Or, yep. That or Bon Jovi. Yep. But Springsteen is like to New Jersey. I would say what Mellencamp is to Indiana, except for that Mellencamp is hardly Mr. Congeniality. And so, and Springsteen, I think, is. Um, Where'd Tom Allen go? Tom Allen went with Mercy Me, which okay. now, I, now here's the thing about Tom Allen. I remember a couple of years ago I was interviewing Tom Allen when he first came out with LEO, Love Each Other, the, the, the mantra for Indiana football. And Tom Allen, every time he does an interview, he ends up with LEO. So I said to him, well, Tom, you know, you're, you're probably – I mean, how old is Tom Allen, would you guess? I would say 58? in his 50, yeah, yeah, late 50s. So the band ELO was a huge band like in the – probably late 70s, early 80s, like right in the wheelhouse of when Tom Allen would have been in high school and or college. So I said to him, I go, I know you like LEO, but do you also like ELO, the band? Like, you have to like ELO, right? And Tom Allen's like, I've, I've never heard of them. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, you've heard of ELO. Now, do we have, Eddie, see if you can find ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, Don't Bring Me Down is their biggest hit, okay? Now, Jimmy, when I say ELO to you, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, no. right? Electric Light Orchestra, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But as soon as I play, and Eddie, you let me know when you have it, Electric Light Orchestra and uh, Don't Bring Me Down, probably their biggest hit. As soon as you hear it, I'm guessing, Jimmy, so I said to Tom Allen, like, well, Don't Bring Me Down, ELO. He's like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. Uh, While well, he's looking for that, um, ELO first appeared in my lexicon thanks to Guardians of the Galaxy, a Marvel movie. And I say that because they open with uh, Mr. Blue Sky. Well, Mr. Blue Sky is a fabulous song by The Chosen Few also, which is probably a cover by a, a North Central band. Um, okay, go ahead. Do we have it, Eddie? No, wait, wait for just a second for it to kind of kick in. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. yeah, I got you. Yep, there you go. Evil yep. Woman is a huge yep. one, too. My buddy Paul. Okay. Yep. She's an evil woman. Yep. Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, Mercy Me, by the way. Let me look it up here. I just had it. Uh, Mercy Me is an American contemporary Christian music band founded in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, they began in 1994, from 1994 to present. So that is Mercy Me. Uh, that is Tom Allen's favorite act. Um. I would say, yeah, Evil Woman probably is uh, their bigger hit. No question about it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a premature here, just a little bit early break. We'll come back and we'll talk to the brains of the operation, if you will, the guy that has put this all together because we've had a lot of fun out here today for the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Again, going until 5 o'clock today, tomorrow from 9 until 6, Sunday 9 to 4, and tickets are just $10, which is a value at twice the price, and for just twice that price, you can get the entire weekend and bring everybody out, and we'll talk about all of the fun and the good that this is doing as well. We'll do that when we come back. It is Query and Company listening to it on 93.5, 107.5 the fan a lot of fun today 
truth be told, and I love talking about the Colts with James Boyd and Matt Taylor and Kevin Bowen. I like talking with Jason, who is one of the wood carving experts that's going to be out here doing a 17-hour project in terms of coming up with some wood art. And I look forward to talking to Ray Moisner, who's the executive director here of the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. But I think Ray will certainly appreciate and understand the fact that all of it, all of it is secondary to, you know, Ray, there are certain things that you go through. And like when you went to Kings Island as a kid, I'm assuming you went to Kings Island, right? I did. And there was always a huge buzzkill when you go to the Beast first. Because you'd ride the Beast and then you're like, well, now what? Right? Absolutely. We, we got out here today and we were 20 <laughs> minutes into it and Twiggy the water skiing squirrel came over. Now, no offense to you by any stretch of the imagination, but but that's riding the Beast first, right? I mean, what, like, from there on, it was like, well, now what? Headliner out of the gate. <laughs> Jake, I've been upstaged by that doggone squirrel all week. <laughs> he gets the good shifts. I get, you know. Hey, you got to like it, though. Um, first off, thanks for having us out. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, first off, it's great because we are just inside. And I, I want to make this clear to people because I know that obviously it's warm today and it's going to be better this weekend. But there are areas where, you know, even though some of the stuff's outside, it's great to come through here and see a lot of the exhibitors and do so as we are in the cooler air. So people are going to be able to walk around, cool off, relax, and then go out and see everything that you guys have going on. Absolutely. And the forecast for the weekend is tremendous. Last year, we were absolutely overwhelmed at the crowds that came out here to Lebanon on Saturday and Sunday. Sunday, we got a little bit of weather, but Saturday just blew our minds how many people came out. And the town has supported this. The whole communities surrounding uh, uh, you know Westfield Zionsville Carmel Fishers everybody all of Indianapolis south side Roncalli people have come out uh, it's it's just been unbelievable the support we've gotten here it's the third year for it it's the second year that you've done it up here right off of exit 138 and I-65 at uh, the Boone County Fairgrounds how did this all come about and what is you know obviously showcasing all of the skill from around the country that takes place when it comes to woodworking is here on display but what's the overall goal of this and how did this all come about? It's, the overall goal is a message and everything you're going to do out here is tremendous fun for the entire family. The kids absolutely love it out here. They have a blast. There's so much to do. There's so much unique entertainment out here that you can't see anywhere else and on really a great weekend to do it. Football season hadn't started yet but getting back to the goal, the overall goal is to get a message out there. This is Indiana's largest agricultural industry, hardwoods are. They are a $10.5 billion industry in the state of Indiana, 70000 thousand Hoosiers make their livelihoods in the hardwood industry. It's a really well-kept secret. And our message is to, to tell that positive story about sustainable forestry, that, that um, these families, these multi-generational family businesses that make up our business have made their entire livelihoods and the next generation and the one behind them coming up about protecting the forest and protecting the woods. So we take all the fun parts of forestry, the wood carvers, the lumberjack show, Twiggy the squirrel, he lives in a tree, right? All, all the fun parts of forestry, and we, we bring it out here so you can come out and have fun while learning the positive message that this supports Indiana's economy in a big way, especially in rural Indiana. And it, it also supports Indiana's environment because the people that know how to take care of the forests are here. And I think, Ray, one of the things that probably you talk about, like, misperceptions, right, or just in terms of that stuns me, 70,000 Hoosiers making their living with hardwoods. But I think there are a lot of people that think, 
well, the, the timber industry, I mean, they just go in and find forests and clear them all out and build apartments. But but that's not necessarily the case, right? Jake, those people are the bane of our existence, to be quite quite honest with you. There's people out there, organizations that, that, that make their livelihood out of uh, causing conflict. They need a villain. They need bad guys. Uh, you know, they the, the, the people that I've met over the last 30 years in the forestry industry are the, the heart and soul, the best people in the world. Um, and you get organizations that just need conflict and they just need something to to uh, build their industry off of so they they uh, try to send positive or negative messages about forestry and cutting down trees when actually cutting down a tree when it's time is better for the environment than letting a dead decaying rotting tree stand out in the forest because not only is it a risk of you know uh, uh, falling down or, or something like that but it's also as a tree decays and, and it dies it starts doing the opposite of what what it does when it's growing it no longer stores carbon it's releasing it back into the atmosphere uh, instead of what it's supposed to do which is take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and release oxygen into it so there's i don't want to get scientific on a sports show but there's a lot of misinformation i really really appreciate you bringing that up because that's a big part of why we bring this message here that's why we built woods on wheels the mobile classroom that's down here that you can come and walk through and get the education from it well and the other thing about that is i i think that you know it's like farmers you pass a, a cornfield you see all the corn, yeah. and then it's harvest time, and then guess what? Next year you come back, and he's planted more corn, and there's more corn. Somebody who's making their living off of the the forestry industry, I would assume, when they are clearing out a tree, they're making sure there's another one going up, right? There's three trees growing up in Indiana for every one that gets cut down, and you're talking about sustainable forestry is the buzzword there, and uh, you never see anybody complain about a, uh, a clear cutting of a corn crop every year because they know it's bringing something good back, and that's a perfect analogy. We're just the patient farmers. Our crop takes 40 to 80 years to grow. Right. It's an investment right. for your family. When you plant a tree today, you're planting that for your grandson or granddaughter 40 years down the road. But thank you for bringing that up because that's, that's right at the heart of our message here. Um, we're just patient farmers. For those that leave here after the Hoosier Harvard Festival and want to get more involved, how do they do that? Whether it's with the Indiana Harvard Lumbers Association, whether it's after the interactive classroom, what are the steps after this event? Um, go out and, and tell the message. Tell your neighbors what you heard. Uh, uh, talk back to those people that don't have a single forester in their organization. You know, we've got Purdue University is here as our partners. We've got the DNR here who runs the entire state forestry system who build up from zero acres after European settlement back to five million acres of forestry now. The experts are here. The non-experts are knocking on your door asking for money. You know what's cool about this today as we've been sitting here and I've been watching? Um, I think 80% of the people I've been seeing walking through here, it's an entire family. So people are bringing out the kids. I mean, there's kind of fun for everybody out here, right? Absolutely. There is something for everybody to do. There's so much for kids to do. Um, if you're a landowner and, you know, 90% of the wood, 90 to 95% of the wood that feeds this $10 billion industry comes from private landowners. That's that's how much of the, the forest land in Indiana is owned by private landowners. So they're here. There's a whole educational series all weekend for them of everything from how to take care of invasive species to how to you know maintain your woodlot, how to do timber stand improvement. Um, there's just so much for the whole family to do, whether you like big machines or you like watching water skiing, skiing squirrels or lumberjack shows or wood carvers. And there's stuff to take home, buy. You can do half your Christmas shopping in, here in late August. 
what better time to get it done, right? Because then, then all of a sudden, <laughs> November rolls around. If you're like me, and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have to, you know, I, I don't have to procrastinate this year. Uh, lastly, let me ask you this, Ray. I, you raise an interesting point. Seventy thousand Hoosiers making their living in the timber industry. I know of the Hoosier National Forest, right? And I've been through, you know, basically all parts of Indiana. What parts, specifically regionally speaking, geographically speaking, what parts of Indiana other than the Hoosier National Forest yeah. are most of these patient farmers living? Uh, all over the state, really, with the, with the tree farmers. Most of these, uh, th- these are hundreds, uh, I mean, tens of thousands of people that own an average of 35 to 40 acres. You, you think of forests, you think mostly of southern Indiana, but you've got a lot of forest products manufacturing. If you think of cabinet makers and Napanee and, and the Amish yeah. country up there, Jasper has been known for years as the nation's wood capital. Um, the RV industry up in Elkhart is a huge driver of the hardwood industry with, with all the hardwoods that go into there. Um, you've got flooring companies in Spencer. You've got Wood Miser, one of the biggest uh, companies in Indiana, located out by Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis. Uh, you've got Batesville Casket. You've got Cutter Woodworking down by Louisville. I mean, you just you can't go anywhere in the state once you're paying attention to it and not see all the, the different hardwoods that are out there. Well, I'll tell you what, it comes full circle. Ray Moistner, the executive director of the Hoosier Hardwood Festival, because we talked about the Colts all day long and Anthony Richardson. They're going to have to be patient farmers, right? And then you guys are patient farmers here and on display. And I love that you had us out. And we've had a ball, and I certainly appreciate it. And I think everybody's going to have fun. 9 to 6 tomorrow, 9 to 4 on Sunday as well, and until 5 o'clock today. Just 10 bucks, so a value at twice the price, right? Yeah, and Jake and Jimmy, we appreciate you so much and appreciate you coming out and supporting our message. Thanks it's been for a lot us. of fun. And, um, again, and, and you know what? I'm not going to lie to you, Ray. Um, you, you actually did a better interview than Twiggy, but Twiggy is cool. I mean, you know, I enjoyed having Twiggy over. I'm not even going to compete with Twiggy. He, he wins. <laughs> she wins. Right. She wins. <laughs> it is a she, I believe, yes. It's twi- what do we say? Twiggy 9, is that Twiggy right? Twiggy 10. Twiggy 10. Twiggy 10. All right. Um, anyway, Jimmy, a lot of fun. You got big plans for the weekend? Uh, Ron Colley, Franklin Central tonight. Looking forward All to right. our Southside Rivalry. Ron Colley Media Network. Ron Colley and the Flashes. I'm off to Gateway. Again, IndyCar, you can hear that race on Sunday for the IndyCar race at the Worldwide Technology Raceway on the Oval in St. Louis. John's up next for Eddie Garrison, for Jimmy Cook. My name is Jake Quarry. Thanks so much for listening to us. Brittany Levinston was here as well. And, of course, Devin Duncan putting it all together. We'll talk to you coming up on Monday at noon, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.